Hi and welcome to the show. And this episode we're going to be talking about some Dread Elf stuff. And of course the book is right now still in the playtesting phase. So some of the things that we talk about may change, may get different names, may just be completely different or even removed from the book. So just so you're aware, please take everything with a big pinch of salt. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Podcast like a motherfucker. Welcome to Amazon Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Try it again. Nobody knows the number. It's been too long since we recorded. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it has to be more, like, I feel like we should try to be more regular. I would guess it's 54, but I don't know. Apparently okay, I let's spell, say 54. Apparently I can't spell podcast. You know, like, if you lie convincingly enough, then everybody believes you. It's 54, I was right. Welcome to Amazon Podcast, episode fifty-four. It's been a while since we recorded, but we're we're back and uh, hopefully more regular now with Corona over. Although my schedule is a bit busy these next few months, but we'll see what we can do. Um, today we're going to talk about a bit of hobby. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Dread Elves and some of the new things in the army book. Hopefully, not to give too much away. But uh, I'm sure there'll be a few interesting little s- sneak peeks in there. Yeah, We're also going to talk about the new ID update, which has been a bit of a balance release since the new book. So um, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Whatever, whatever music it is, yeah. So, welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined as usual with Casimir the Swede. Yeah. And Sassy Al. Assassin. I'm the assassin today. Assassin. Assassin. Because we're going to be talking about Dread Elves, so. So, I'm considering, even though I've just got like 2,000 krona worth of miniatures through the post last week I'm like maybe I'm going to start a Dread Elves army yeah maybe me too I haven't, I haven't lost a game yet with a new book <laughs> which company would you buy from though like what, I'm, uh, I'm considering going to Warlord Games and making like a samurai army oh okay that's cool yeah and making them into Dread Elves that's what I was thinking that's what we were talking about today yeah, like, I wanted to double up as Magokans I got two sets from the of prints from the Titan Forge yeah Printing sets. They're nice models as well. Which I guess well, when we get into the hobby, we'll talk about... Oh, you've got, you got, you got like hours to talk about with the, 3D printing. The chaos that I've, that I've invested <laughs> oh, in. Oh, dude, yeah. I've really blown my top, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, spent the bank. Spaffed it out. Oh. <laughs> Spaffed it all over your, your hobby room. <laughs> I just need to spend several years hobbying and it will totally pay itself back. <laughs> like, now, now I have a friend who is making 3D models. I'm never, ever, ever going to paint everything I have 
Yeah. It's just a fact of life. <laughs> it's literally a fact of life. Especially if you keep writing me being like, uh, can you print me this? <laughs> it's like, dude, I saw this. I bought it. Here's, here's the files. Can you print this? Like, I love this. Will you make it for me? I mean, yeah, <laughs> sure. It cost me like 25 cents, but... <laughs> 25 cents in 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's there is like the... the are we just going to start yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. a hobby? Might as well. This is the hobby section. Go. Yeah, off we go. <laughs> So, uh, for those of you who didn't catch that, I totally bought a 3D resin printer. Which, which printer did you buy? It's an Elegoo Mars Pro. Yeah. Uh, I got the Pro version. cost a little bit more, um, basically because it came with a uh, carbon filter. It's like an air filter that helps filter out some of the stank of it. Um, you know, because... Uh, so, like, how, how expensive is this thing? Like, if you compare it to, like, the top of the line, and so on, like, how expensive did you go? Uh, I mean, it costs a little under 300 euro. Um, a little under 300 euro for me to do, uh, or to order and have it delivered. So, I feel like it, it cost a bit of money, but considering, like, my China cast order was <laughs> o- over 300 euro... <laughs> Like, yeah, I just kind of thought to myself, so I spent, I spent over 300 euro on my China cast order and I spent probably over 300 euro on like one afternoon on Etsy getting like maybe 15 models or something. So once I ordered this, I think it pays itself back really I, fast. Almost everything I've, I bought on Etsy, I've now found print files for, for like a fraction of the price. Yeah. So, like, uh, like for example, I, I ordered like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and I thought it was going to be a lot bigger than the than it was when it was delivered. Um, yeah. But I also found the print file, and the guy who was making those prints um, was releasing all of his dinosaur files for free this month. So okay. like, I just got the T Rex I wanted for free after paying like 25 Uh-oh. euro for it or something. And now I can print it like a massive proper, like huge size. Cause I wanted to put him, wanted it to be like a wasteland dragon or like a, or like a behemoth or something like that. And, um, and so I wanted it to be way fucking bigger than it was. So now I can just print it myself and just do that. Which is cool. Um, but yeah, like, now that I have the printer, I spent I spent about a month just like hardcore printing almost every day, just trying to get the, my getting the hang of it, trying to figure out what I'm doing, and um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I think it feels really good now. I don't know, Henry, you got a couple of things for me today that I think the quality was quite good on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Alex, Alex has been printing me a few bits and bobs. I got like a, I signed up to a Raging Heroes. Um, they're doing like a 3D print file thing where it's basically like Sylvan Elf type stuff. Well, more like you sent it to me and I signed up. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I signed up for it? No, I signed up for it. Did you sign up for it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you signed Alex signed up for it for me so I could get some cool models. And there was like, um, it's like Sylvan Elf type stuff. There was like fairies and things. But what blade I wanted. Dancers. What I wanted was, yeah, a couple of blade dancers that were like really dynamic. And um, there was a fawn model and a centaur model and also like a, a mage on, a, on an owl. So I'm going to use the mage on an owl for like a high elf mage on an eagle. And uh, I got a, another centaur chief because now I've got five centaur chiefs and I need five centaur chiefs for my centaur army. And I think there's one more centaur. 
that you thought was cool, the guy with the cool mustache? Oh yeah, the mustache centaur. But he was a bit big, right? He's, I mean, I can scale them, but yeah, 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 he's a bit bigger. Yeah, but I, I don't need any more. So now, I'm, now I've got f my five centaur chiefs. So we're good to go. Is it a, is it a zero to five So say again, Casimir. Is it a zero to five choice or? I don't think there's any limit on how many centaur chiefs you can have. It's just a character limit, isn't there? Yeah. Points wise. Yeah, exactly. So it's a matter of like, do you want a centaur chief or do you want? some more magic yeah and i'm i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure you can have as many as you like but i'm just actually going to check now and then um yeah i've got a fawn like a fawn guy with a like a harp and that's going to be um the leader of my wild horns so yeah alex has been well, pumping them out so you also I made like how are the scales, uh, the scale of the wild horns that you got? Because they, I mean, I know that when we looked at the models from the beginning, they look kind of scrawny. Yeah, they are a little bit scrawny actually. You can comment, Alex. On the fawns? Yeah. So these are these fawns are from um, RD, rgdgaming.com. And he did a Kickstarter and I, I backed like for the full army pledge. And I'd say it's like 25mm scale rather than 28mm scale. But these are plastic, right? Yeah, but they're like plastic and they're glued together. Like the quality of the plastic is like Games Workshop plastic, so it's like oh, really oh. good quality plastic. You can use like plastic glue for it. It's got good flexion. Yeah. Like now that I've been spending a lot of time with resin, like resin's uh, really brittle. Well, at least the the type that I'm using, there is some that can can be a bit more have a bit more flexion to it. But the problem is, um, you know, you're paying, you're sacrificing one thing for another. So like, uh, for me to get the kind that has like the flexion of a of a injection molded plastic, it's also going to have a lot more fumes. Um, and you know, I, I live at home with a with a ten month old, so I don't want to have a lot of fumes in my house. Um, so <coughs> I, I take I take the water water washable um, resin, which uh, helps me in a couple of ways. One, it doesn't smell as much as a lot of the other resins. And two, I don't need to use like isopropyl alcohol to wash it and rinse the excess resin off when I'm done because the isopropyl for one has its own, like releases its own fumes as you're using it to like to bathe your models in, but also um, then I have to like deal with the, like getting rid of that alcohol like yeah. i can't just pour that shit down the drain yeah you have to actually dispose of it right yeah so like with the water washable stuff i can wash it just with tap water and then uh when i want to get rid of the water uh all i do is i basically cure the water in the sun um let the resin all harden in it and then filter it through a coffee filter so i filter out all the resin and then i can put the water down this so there is quite a process to the 3d printing yeah, yeah. I so, mean, so what do you do with the after you filter the resin? What do you do with that extra resin? Well, once it's so once the resin's cured, it's not toxic anymore in the same way, uh, but okay. it's also not going to mix in with your groundwater. So you can just throw it out like regular shit. But oh, like in the normal garbage. Yeah, can. just in the trash. Oh. Yeah, but like unfiltered resin uh, or un uncured resin is one toxic and two because it's a liquid. If you like pour it down the drain, even if it's if it's mixed in with your isopropyl alcohol or whatever, you're, you have the you have the you're you're adding toxic stuff to the to the water supply, right? So uh, you really don't you really don't <laughs> want to do really that. don't want to do that. 
Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty uncool, you know. Uh, as, like... as I did a podcast about water once, um, all the water, or like a lot of the water in Denmark is like groundwater. Mm. So everything that goes into the soil is like being drunk by someone at some point. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully they filter that shit. That's, uh, that's yeah, 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 sure yeah. But do, once but it, still... once the stuff's mixed in, you know. Basically, it's it's in the solution. You're gonna right? turn it's, into Spider-Man or the whole. The thing is that the, the the liquid resin isn't gonna turn into particulate that can be filtered. It becomes part of the solution, the water solution, right? So you can't filter that out. You need to you need to have it exposed and hardened and then filtered. Uh, yeah, so, I mean th- this is this is the same thing, right? With like why resin is is dangerous to handle is because the the particulates are you know not easily filtered. So when you file resin, for example, or certain types of resin, then they like can be diff- uh, what's called dangerous to breathe just because the particles are so small that your lungs can't filter them out. I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the same with anything, any particulates, really. Um, so without without yeah, digressing too much. If you, uh, if you file a normal plastic that you have get from Games Workshop, that that like the little filings you get are not dangerous, from what I understand. But if you buy, for example, resin, and don't from eat World, too many of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, so I think maybe maybe you should just explain like the whole process of like from from getting the STL file to like finishing off the print. Sure. So um, you, you, you download your STL file, uh, which is basically a, a quote-unquote print-ready file yeah. um, from a website or wherever online. Yeah. Um, there are like a number of websites where people post... A lot of Kickstarters like, like selling them. And... Yeah, so there's, like, there's, there's ones for sale uh, on various websites. You can pick them up on Kickstarter, uh, Patreon. You can back people that release them monthly. You can go to websites like um, My Mini Factory, yeah. um, or like Thingiverse and that kind of stuff. I Thingiverse has a lot of free ones, so. Just uh, there's fireworks going on in the background from Tivoli, so uh, sorry about that if you're if you're hearing them. Um, but like, there's a lot of there's also a lot of places that have free files, and and the quality rate like definitely varies based on the artist. Um, and based on the yeah, so based on the artist or whatever. But you know, you you sort of just pick stuff you like. There's always there's always like a preview preview image for the files. Yeah. So you pull that off the internet, uh, download it. Then you need to import it into a slicing program. And so, I guess that comes with the printer, right? Yeah, but they're just free online. Like all the printers, like like just download it. You just download website. it from the website. Like it's not like there are a number of. People, you know, following different threads and forums and stuff online. Like, there's a lot of people that use the Elugu Mars that use uh, a slicing file or a slicing program that's for a different company because yeah. all that matters is that you get the sliced file at the end. Um, but I find Chitu Box, which is the one that comes with Elugu Mars, like works just fine for me. Um, I haven't tried the other ones, but once I figured out sort of what I'm what I'm supposed to do with setup. Um, and with general maintenance on the uh, printer, I haven't had print fails the way I had in the beginning. Like initially, I was having a bunch of failures and like kind of things were fucking up a bit. And I was <laughs> you, you had like one gut like a marauder or something like a kit a fuck drink, a barbarian, a barbarian that was like it looked like it had been melted. It's yeah. like ah! 
Oh, just like his head and his hand left. Yeah, <laughs> just like just like coming out of a puddle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I also love the guy who was completely flat, except yeah. for like one part of his axe or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I had a few of those. So he just, just like, like fallen into a pool of acid. <laughs> I, like I, tried, I wanted to print this vampire lady for Henry's uh, Undead Army. It's just a little prezzy because I was coming, happened to be coming by here. You know, so I printed it the night before, and then when I came up, got up in the morning, and went to the to check on the file or like the print, um, the finished print, there was like just one wing, <laughs> right? and the rest of her had like fallen off and basically like melted to the bottom of the of the resin uh, pile and I was like, okay, well, that just... That yeah, didn't work. That just was <laughs> So I brought you a wing. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. There you go, man. Um, so basically, um, you get the file and put it, like, import it into uh, your slicing program. And when it's there, you know, I'll inspect it um, and then I'll angle it or rotate it to a posture or position that I like. Yeah. So um, I guess, because the way I understood it is that you have like this print bed, which is like, let's say it's like uh, six inches by 10 inches. And then to make it to make it quicker, you want it kind of as like as flat as possible, like as close to the print bed as possible, because it's less layers. Because yeah. one layer is like the same time. So exactly. if, let's say you're doing like a cavalry model with a lance. So obviously if you put that like perpendicular to the print bed, it's gonna be like really tall and take like a long time. But if you like rotate it and put it like down the bottom and do it close to the print bed, then it's gonna take it be a lot less time. That's right. But then there's another thing that you have to balance out, right? Which is that um, the more each layer has contact with the bottom of with the with the bottom film of the print of the yeah. of the print pool, um, the more possibility or opportunity it has to fuck up. Yeah. Because basically, the way that the system works is that there's a, a, a UV screen underneath a pool, um, right, with a with a clear plastic film separating the two. Yeah. And the UV screen lights up in the shape of whatever layer it is that you're printing. Yeah. And if that layer is really, really like uh, broad or has a lot of contact, then when the uh, when the print platform tries to peel it off of the plastic film at the bottom, there's a possibility it'll get, stuck, it'll get stuck on that okay. and basically get pulled off of the So you the, kind of want it almost like an angle then? So usually uh, you, I print it on an angle uh, and that has a few benefits. One, it has the benefit of what we just talked about, making sure that the contact surface isn't too flat or too, there isn't like a, like a high surface area and the contact surface. The second thing is that um, because it is printing in layers, um, if you print sort of and the character is just standing straight up, then you can you can see some of the layers, like you can yeah. see the lines in yeah. the layers more easily if they're sort of all just yeah. like uh, perpendicular to the standing model. Yeah. Whereas if you if you tilt it or, angle, or alter yeah. it a bit on an angle, then those layers get jumbled up in all of the detail, uh, detail in, yeah. the, in the model exactly. Um, so it ends up looking a lot better and um, painting a lot better. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, so you basically you angle it, then you do uh, what's called um, putting the supports on, and you can either do this manually or you can just run it, uh, let it automatically put supports on. Uh, I usually let it put the supports on automatically and then go in and do some adjustments like add a few supports here and there in areas where i think it might need some 
I just so, and that's so like what is the uh, what is the function of the supports? So the function of the supports is that if the model has like um, you're so you're looking at it, you're, you're imagining it in layers, right? In sliced layers, and let's say that the model kind of uh, has a uh, con cave arc uh, compared to the um, surface of the build plate that means that there's going to be stuff uh, potentially on the other side of that arc that's being printed before it's connected do you know what I mean yeah like so if there's a curve and the and and the connecting point of the curve isn't getting printed till 50 layers from now but the tip so like if the if you have like if you have a character with big ears that are pointed that flop downwards, the tip of that ear is going to start getting printed before the the part that houses that like connects it to the rest of the head. So you need a support there, or that thing is just going to be floating. It'll just it it has nothing to attach itself to. So the supports allow for the details in some of these prints to 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 stay in place before the connecting tissue sort of gets built. And the other thing is that if you have like broader or heavier things on like cropping out from the main part of the, the model, uh, this also helps to just maintain a structural support for when you're peeling it off of the bottom of the resin basin. Yeah. Um, so it seems to have those two sort of functions as far as I can tell. Um, so, so then you're going to, so like after you, uh, do that, then you're going to actually like do the slicing. You're going to like run the, um, the program's main operation, which is to slice it into layers and that the number of layers it slices into. So it just does it automatically basically. Yeah. Based on the settings that you yeah. set. So, um, and, that, and that's, that's kind of the only thing that you have to be kind of like experimenting on a bit, right? Is actually like the settings and the layer, layer thickness and yeah. Because, um, like, you can go down to, I think it's as small as 0 0.01 um, millimeter. millimeter height layer thickness, which is, like, super high detail, but that's then, also going to take you longer. fucking days to print <laughs> shit, right? And, like, uh, and, if the, and if that print fails after, like, 36 hours of yeah. waiting for it to be done, you're going to be totally miserable. Yeah. Uh, so I use 0 0.03. It's like a detail level that I cannot see the details. Yeah, I, I like think it's, I think it's perfect. It's so good, the detail. Yeah, I, I, and like I started at 0 0.05 and it looked good in my opinion, but um, I just heard, basically I just got some tips from like some forums where somebody was like, oh, try 0 0.03. It's got great detail and doesn't add that many hours to the yeah. system. And for me, like I'll, I usually get to my sort of hobby room in the evening anyway so i'm not going to get the print done while i'm still awake yeah so i'll like set a print print it overnight clean it up in the morning and let it uh maybe dry and then i'll cure it in the afternoon or evening yeah um but yeah so basically after that you after it's done you save it onto a usb plug it into the printer uh the printer's got a like like i said a resin pool you run the you run the printer it starts doing its thing you know, between six and 15 hours later, depending on how tall the print is, uh, you're done. You've got this thing that's printed. It's got a bunch of like goopy resin on the outside of it. Uh, you take it off of the, take the build plate off, scrape it out, uh, take the 
take the model off of all of the supports, like peel it off the support. Yeah, this, and the supports come off pretty easy. They kind of just like yeah, they click off. Yeah, basically, it's really like you just do it by hand. Like they just kind of yeah. pull off. Even on the, like the flimsy bits, it was. I was kind of expecting it to be a bit more like. I thought you'd have to clip it with like a clippers, but it just pulls off really easy. Yeah, I mean, it's rare. I think it's quite rare that um, you like shatter the resin. Something, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, because the resin's not fully cured yet, it's quite flexible, um, and the supports are like tapered to a, a small point, so yeah. they're sort of made to click off yeah. or snap off. So, anyways, so you peel it off, then I wash it. I use the wa I have water washable resin, so I wash it in a water bath. Um, I learned uh, very quickly that just like shaking it inside of like a water container does not fucking work yeah. that well. Like it works okay, but it's a bit shit. <laughs> yeah, to get a toothbrush. Best thing is to have a toothbrush and just like, yeah, because like I, I ran you through the process yeah. <laughs> as well. You got to try it. So I got to do some brushing. It takes like fucking 30 seconds yeah, to just yeah. like brush the surface off of something. Yeah. And they, they turned out really nice. And it looks gorgeous comparatively. Yeah. Uh, like I have a number of things that I printed early I got, on. I got this guy in the base already. Oh, nice. I have a number. Oh, is that the, That's the wings? I need a little bit longer. I have a number of things that I printed early on um, that I'm actually not that happy with the resolution sort of of the surfaces because I didn't wash them thoroughly enough. So some of the excess resin that was resin that was just kind of hanging out on it um, basically got cured into place and muddied up some of the details. And it's crazy how good the details are. I also use the Elgumars Pro has an anti-aliasing setting, which like smooths curves and corners. Uh, which you should totally not use on minis, uh, because you want the sharp okay. edges. The sharp edges are actually what help to find the model. Otherwise, it's going to look like it's been yeah. dropped in acid. Yeah, it kind of melts the corners <laughs> a bit. So uh, that that was a lesson because I was like anti-aliasing, fucking awesome. Right? Like because I'm used to them yeah, with video games like... and 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 anti-aliasing like just like takes the weird corners off of things. Yeah. But right. I guess with miniatures, you actually want those weird corners, especially you when you're doing like dry brushing and highlighting. You really do because it's not yeah. because you're you actually want the highest level of resolution yeah. you can out of them. So after washing, what's the next step? So then, um, what I've so this is all sort of my trial and error behavior. Do you, just do you UV them before? No, no. Um, so you don't want to UV them until they're clean. Yeah. Because then, like I said, you'll harden some of that. Oh yeah, the excess resin, resin on this and that'll muddy yeah. up the yeah. details. Yeah. But the other thing that I like to do is I also then like to let them dry quite thoroughly. So I'll leave them for like three, four hours, just in a like in a pan with some paper towel to like let all the water dry off. Yeah. Um, that's just because even when you wash it, there might be a little bit of like resin in the water, right? In this, it's like yeah. a, a solution, yeah. as it were. Just to make sure that you get 100% of the resin off. And I just wanted to, if there is any, then the water is going to evaporate and it's going to be like molecular, yeah. that excess resin. Yeah. So it's going to be very unnoticeable. So I just do that. Uh, and then I cure it. Uh, sometimes I cure it in the sun. Like if I'm going to like, if, if, I'm got, if I've got like some shit to do, I'll just like put it in the windowsill and leave it there for an hour or two and then come back and like flip it over or whatever. Um, but if I'm really eager to kind of focus on it i'll use a uv light uh that i i ordered i basically ordered like it's for like um treating nails i ordered yeah. it on amazon yeah. and basically it has like 60 second runs and so i just like put the um it's like it, it, it's inside. like a little dome thing right yeah. it looks like some kind of like futuristic um uh like concert hall <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a, in, in 28 millimeter size 
Yeah, the only thing is that like the light, the UV light is like bad for your eyes, so you really don't want to be looking anywhere near it when it's happening. Yeah, and you, you, and you also want to keep the UV light away from the printer. Yeah, you don't want any of that UV light spilling into where the f fresh resin is because you don't want it to harden any of the resin that's there. Yeah, because the resin gets hardened by the UV light and that's how exactly. you cure it, right? Yeah, and that's how it builds it in, yeah. inside the machine. It uses The screen is a UV light screen Okay. at the bottom. So that's literally the system that it uses to harden yeah. it. Um, so then after you've hardened it, you know, uh, like cured it, take it out, it's good to go. It's also, it's also like, it's also been said that, um, even once you've cleaned the resin, that you don't want to handle the resin barehanded until it's been cured. Yeah. Because that's when, um, whatever active toxins have. Yeah. I was using like gloves, right? Yeah. I gave you these like, uh, rubber like, gloves, like not latex, but like, uh, cleaning gloves. Yeah. Uh, disposable cleaning gloves, uh, to use and I use those as well when I'm doing it. So, I mean, that's one of the factors I think in the printing that, you know, it, you, as far as financially, like what it costs to do the printing, it's not just like, when do I pay off the printer? It's like, there's the printer as a, as a, as a base investment cost, but there's a bunch of other things you need to get like a UV, a UV curing machine. Uh, of some kind, unless you want to cure in the sunlight all the time, which is also fine. But some cleaning equipment uh, you want, and yeah, then if, if you live in Spain, you can just put your miniatures on the windowsill. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do I do it here as well. Yeah. I, I have a self-facing window. Yeah. Uh, in the room where I do this stuff, so uh, if it's in the daytime, I can put them there, and they'll yeah. cure up just fine. So, in in conclusion, if you guys, if anyone's listening and they're interested in like resin printing and want some tips. You can get in touch with Sassiel on yeah the Ninth Age Forum. Yeah, um, I'm just Sassiel. You can see us on the you can you can find uh, me directly on the P log, the Amertime P log. Yeah, which needs updating. I think we haven't posted anything for a while. Yeah, it's because I like to yeah. post finished stuff. Yeah, same. And um, I've been doing a lot of modeling as <laughs> you, well. You right can now. see my desk is like full of shit right now. Yeah. So maybe I'm gonna be posting a like I've a been, work in progress. I've been soon. not to like uh, like I'll, I think maybe I'll. I'll push it off to you guys here for a little bit because I've been talking so much about the printing, but I just wanted to say like, I've been working on this battle shrine oh, it looks uh, so good. lately and yeah. it's like a, it's like a serious, it's a project. It's a serious project. And like, it's so cool. Just the milliput. I've had to wait like probably 10 or 12 days for it to harden properly because it's, I put so much of it on. Wow. <laughs> that, that long? Like that's freaking crazy. Yeah. I mean, I kept, I kept picking it up and my fingers kept like, uh, uh, maybe you're mixing it wrong because usually with the milliput it hardens in like two or three hours. Maybe you need to. Yeah, it's not like fifty fifty. So Alex, what else? What have you actually? Give us a list of the things that you've made for yourself for your army and what you're going to use them for in the ninth age and where you got them from. Okay. If you maybe not a complete list, yeah. give us like a short list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Um, and how much does it cost you? Minus not the printer, but like the printer is what? How much? printer was about, about 300 euro yeah uh, the, the resin the resin 500 milliliters of resin is about 40 euro but you can get like a liter for a bit cheaper for like okay. 60. okay um that's the water washable resin those cheaper resins yeah but um i'm only working with the water washable yeah. one so so let's say like startup cost is like probably 400 euro yeah Okay, and what have you printed so far? And what have you? What are you going to use it for in the ninth age? And where did you get them from? So so far, I printed um, the wretched one that's going to like carry or drag my shrine, my yeah. battle shrine. 
Um, he's kind of uh, like a weird beast of a creature. M- I mutant. Found, I found with him tentacles. Yeah, he's got like he's just he doesn't have a head, but his mouth is like on his torso. Yeah. And then his, classic mutant. And then his like a huge torso m- mouth. Huge torso mouth. And then he's got on his regular arms, he's got like suction cups and stuff. And so it gave me this idea that. I should like build up a bunch of tentacles on it. So then I also downloaded from Thingiverse like uh, a number of different octopus and squid models. And then I like used some 3D software to chop the chop the tentacles off and then print the temp- tentacles separate. Uh, so I got a bunch of different shaped tentacles and then I started uh, like um, pinning and milliputting them to the back of the creature so that they're sort of holding up this uh, dais sort of platform for the sorcerer to stand on and also kind of like tentacling out from behind him. Um, and I think that's pretty rad. Uh, the dais I didn't print, I bought that online. Um, I've printed probably six or seven barbarians uh, of varying types. Um, I've printed a number of dwarves, even though I don't have a dwarf army because I'm thinking maybe that's going to be my next army. Um, but I also got, it's crazy, there's so many print files, dwarf print files online, like free ones. Uh, I mean, everybody likes dwarves, that's the thing. It's crazy, I mean, so I, I've gotten, I've found a bunch of just straight up free ones that have been, some of them really nice high detail ones. And then I've also gotten a bunch of them from like starter packs or like welcome packs from Patreon. So I've just ended up with like, not quite a full army's worth of dwarves yet, but like quite a lot of dwarves. Um, which is cool. I, so I feel like I'm not, I'm not that far away from being able to, I'm maybe like a hundred fifty or a hundred euro in file purchases away from having like all the dwarves I could ever want. Um, so, so a question, like if you're, if you're printing, say you're printing like a regiment dwarves, like, yep. do you have to print each one separately or can you pre- print like a few of them at a time? Oh yeah. So you, I think. I've gotten away with printing um, four or five characters in one print before, and anything higher than that, um, you I feel like I you you run the possibility of having them stick to the bottom of the um, resin pool because again the the surface area gets high enough at that point where it's harder for the build plate to pull it off, and there's a better chance that it might get pulled off of your supports. Um, so you want to avoid getting too many, but, uh, yeah, like five at a time is not too bad. Plus like if they're dwarves, they're really short. So maybe they're like six, six or seven hour prints. So like in two days I've got, you know, a unit. Uh, I mean, that's faster than you can paint them anyway. So that's definitely faster than I can paint them. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, the way I look at it is once I once I know the, what my next army is, um, I can start printing that stuff in advance, and then I'll have like a sort of a, a backlog of uh, of stuff that I can paint while I'm figuring out what I want to print next. So, um, so yeah, I think it I think it's pretty cool. It does have the the potential to just become a massive backlog of file, like yeah. of, of, of like minis. That, that's how I feel. Like now, now I've got someone printing stuff for me. I'm like, I'm never, ever, ever gonna finish painting what I have on my desk. Yeah. I mean, you just have to, you just have to limit what you ask for. 
<laughs> There's so many good, so much good stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, don't I know it? Uh, I mean, I printed a, a, that Tarasque. Yeah. And like, I want one of the one of those as well. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just need, I need to somehow fit it on a chariot base. I mean, it'll fit. I think you just need to elevate it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that I I showed you mine. I'd already glued it together, but I can like not glue it together, and then you can. Uh, or I can even slice the tail up into several pieces. So because right now the tail hooks in one specific way. Yeah. But I have like a three D program where I can just chop that up. Yeah. So I could chop it up into like four or five segments and print those segments and, and then, then you, you can, can make move it. You can like yeah. you can like pin them and glue them in the way you want and milliput yeah. the maybe that's good the gaps to make it fit a bit better because it's really the tail for a hundred mil. 50 by 100 mil base that's going to be your problem yeah so so i want to i want to warriors warriors of the dark ghost dragon for my army uh, i want to use this as the as the model so if anyone has like a better idea which is like a cool model for a warriors dragon then uh, i'm i'm interested to hear it please let me know henry p miller on the forum so without alex going on and more about 3d printing casimir what have you been doing in the hobby i'm i i do not really want to ask you because i know what you're going to say and it's going to be about dwarves and that just like kills me like but like every time you mention the word dwarf it like an elf dies and uh yeah, that's and I, that's a happy so, so you have to be very brief in in your description of what you did so so i i, I finally got back to belgium that's where uh, where all my stuff is so I got back to my like all my paints, so I could actually finish all the things that I've been uh, kind of like undercoating during uh, during Corona. So I kind of smashed out like uh, I think 40, 40 seekers uh, pretty fast, and now I'm uh, I'm working on some just like painting some uh, some dudes with handguns, some uh, greybeards and stuff like that. So it's like slowly chugging through the doors, which is it's quite fun. Like uh, uh, like I'm actually really enjoying. Uh, doing like I think it's something that you uh, told me about before, where you just kind of uh, just paint one dude. Like you start with one guy, and you just like you just paint that guy, and then you finish him, and you move to the next one. Because I, I like normally I would paint maybe five or six dudes together, and now I'm just kind of slapping paint on one guy. And, but you're yeah, using con done. using contrast paints, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I have to say, like the contrast paints, they vary a little bit, but some of them are so good, like the. Uh, the flesh tones are amazing, and the yellow and the red are really, really good. Like, you just put one coat of the red on, and it's so vibrant and, like, has all the shading and stuff from the beginning. Like, it's just, it just makes painting so easy. Yeah, I, I really like it. I also, have you been, um, have you been playing with the contrast medium for, like, uh, like, lightning stuff? Uh, lightning? Yeah, like making it uh, a little lighter or light, light, well, light to me. Yeah, I, well, I, for some stuff, not so much the dwarves, but when I was painting some other things, then yes, like uh, for example, getting like a very light skin color. Yeah, yeah, I find like um, I think I have three or four skin tones now that I've got just because I want to see what they're like, and almost all of them I yeah. prefer with a little bit, at least like maybe twenty or thirty percent contrast medium. Yeah. Uh, in the mix, I find like I find the colors are so much nicer, and that the contrast, uh, like that, it just it paints over a white uh, way way better when there's a little bit of contrast medium in it, and that it it's the the pigment that settles into the gaps, like creates a better contrast. 
when you use the medium. That's my that's my observation. Yeah, yeah like for me, I, I feel like the the, pro, the problem or the reason I want to use the medium is that sometimes the the contrast is almost too colorful. Like if you put on the contrast yellow or something, it's really like it's really vibrant and. Uh, I think for me normally my palette is like a little bit more muted when I look at the colors that I paint, so so it can almost stick out a little bit. So I've had to go over some of my contrast and just like add maybe some type of like light wash or as you say thin the contrast a little bit so it doesn't like stick out as much compared to the other colors. Yeah, I mean I I like doing a bit of a like a Sorry. after I after I do like a contrast. Um, layer. I like doing like a, a edge highlight yeah. and then a wash. Yeah. And I find that that generally is all I need. I think that's much better. Like we we had a gaming day today with Pete and uh, Suna from Team Island, and um, Suna's building a new Sauron Ancients army, and he's like contrasted his whole army, and he he was playing with like a Carnus like Carnus Fuck, I don't, I don't know what it's called these days. T Rex, what now? <laughs> Some giant lizard. The big angry dinosaur that has Starfall Shard. Yeah. And, and um he's like contrasted it like blue and green. And and it, it looks fine, like it, it's painted and it, that's really good and he's not like a hobbyist, so that's fair enough. Yeah. But it, it would look so much better if he'd done like a edge highlight on top of the contrast paint. Just for those like prominent edges that kinda of stand out. Because yeah. it, it looks a bit flat because the contrast paint it gives it like two layers, but you really need that third or fourth layer to make it pop. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I think these, no, I, I, I think I these contrast paints are like really good to, to make your army tabletop standard, but you need to add like an extra layer or two to make it like work. Well, I think like yeah. my halberd guys are a real yeah shine, shiny yeah. moment. They know, look like, really good, really when really good. On the table now, they I think they're they're really sharp. They're really good until you have to take them off. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> Henry charged them with some with some dread elf jerk faces and did fifteen wounds imme- immediately, and I had to take them off the table. I, I had I had um, the full reign of the magic dice because Alex used all his his dice to dispel the first spell. I was like, yeah. I could cast one more combat buff on this unit, but I don't need to, so I'm not going to, <laughs> and I still killed them all outright. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, rough. It ruined it ruined. <laughs> I was very sad. And annoyed. His, his lovely painted warriors were taken off in one one round. Sad. Without even getting to attack. Yeah. So such is life. I think I, I think to your point, Henry, that it's like it's really like the point of contrast is more like skipping a few steps, but that doesn't mean that you can't like you you can just like skip all the steps, right? Like you can yeah. kind of eliminate the, the idea of base coat and wash, but then you kind of need that extra highlight yeah. to make it all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but one thing I, I really want to touch on was that I learned something since last time. Uh, I, I really learned how to apply the contrast paints because I, I think I was really doing it the wrong way in the beginning when I started dwarves. And I, I listened to, I think, a Duncan video where like he, he split from Games Workshop and is doing his own like YouTube channel now. And he was saying that like what you need to do is that when you apply the contrast paint, you need to not touch it after you put it on the mold. So, yeah. like normally if you apply a wash, you would like put wash on an area and then you start like spreading it out to where it needs to go. 
But with a contrast paint, you put it on the area and then you just move to the next part of the area and you kind of let the paint settle by itself instead of moving it around. Yeah, as long as, long as you don't put like too much there. Like as long as you don't, uh, if you haven't like lathered it on, right? Yeah, of course. Like if you put too much on, you need to like siphon some away. But it makes really a big difference because in the beginning I was treating it like a wash. So I was like putting it on and then I was like moving it around a lot. But it, then it dried really like blotchy, like so, yeah. you know, like so, like a flat area would be really like patchy, like some part would be really light and some would be really dark. But when I started to just like put it on and not touch it, it really settles in a much more even fashion. Interesting. I've not actually used the, con oh, I've used one contrast paint so far. Yeah, didn't you use it on your ghouls or something? Uh, yeah, I used the, the the black one on the ghouls to make them like kind of grey skin. But I, I I didn't really. I mean, I didn't really. They're quite high detail, so I didn't really experiment. I kind of just lathered it on, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really mess around too much. Right. Every time I've gone to the hobby shop, I've bought at least one contrast paint. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's like in the new the new thing in in the hobby, right? Because yeah. now now there's like no excuse not to have like a painted army. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because as as you say, like if you if you have a figure and you buy like three or four contrast, I mean, you can make something look definitely tabletop standard in just a few minutes. Yeah. Have Have you got your ticket yet to NerdCon, Casimir? Uh, yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, I bought it really early. <laughs> Alex can't come, unfortunately. Ah, uh, shit. But Pete, nice. Pete's coming. Yeah. That's nice. So there'll be at least one more noob uh, for you to smash. Assuming they, assume, what are you gonna just line up Casimir <laughs> in a pool with all well, the noobs? Well, it's, it's kind of inevitable that Casimir and Pete will be playing each other on day two on the, on table bottom. Oh, <laughs> wow. I feel like I've been doing better than this normally at tournament. But I guess. If so will, will you be bringing the dwarves or the UD? Or uh, the warriors? Okay. You're going to be bringing dwarves? Casimir, oh, yeah. I've taught you better than this. I mean, I'm painting the dwarves. I want to, you know, I want to have a debut. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. I'm just going to, you know, like, I'm just going to push three units of seekers in people's faces. You know what's like, awesome about. Past, you know? You know what's awesome about traveling with a dwarf army is you only need half the space. Yeah, I mean, I, like the traveling with my old army was such a nightmare. Like all the beauty stuff, has, Mo like, all the monsters, spears sticking in every direction. Yeah, it's monsters, chariots, all these models that take are really fragile and take a lot of space. Like now, I'm really looking forward to taking like I have two cookie boxes that I can put all the dwarfs in, put it in my backpack. It's great. You can fit even more alcohol with you when you travel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I guess it's cheaper in Belgium, so I should stock up before <laughs> I come. Bring some Belgian beers over for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... I've actually been really busy recently. And I've literally done absolutely zero hobby. Until, oh, wow. like, yesterday. Or the day before. What day are we on today? Saturday? Saturday. So it was like... Thursday when I started doing some hobby. So in two days I've like assembled the two thousand kroner worth of well I've started to assemble the two thousand kroners worth of miniatures that have arrived in my mailbox. So I had like three or four Kickstarters that arrived. 
I had, um, as we talked about, the RGD gaming phones that arrived. I got four boxes of 24 phones, which are going to be my wild ones for my Beast Herds army. Uh, also, also with those guys, I got like a load of Minotaurs. I got something like 20 Centaurs, which are a little bit too small for me to use as Centaurs, I think. But I have enough Centaurs already, so I might sell them. If anyone wants some Centaurs for cheap, let me know. Um, I got... I got a Cyclops, a Centaur character, a Fawn character from, what was it called? It was like a, like a Kickstarter doing like Greek style miniatures, but it was like a really cool Cyclops model, I'll show you, it's awesome. It's in the bag, but you get the idea. Oh yeah. It's really cool. Love him. It's like massive and uh... He's got hooves, so he's very beasty. Yeah. It's like really beasty Centaur. Uh, Cyclops. Also, he's much bigger than the Cyclops you painted before. Yeah. It's like uh, like 150% the size of, of what it was before. That Cyclops was kind of funny because he, you had him sitting on the back of the of yep. the of the, um, the base. base, and he was just tiny. Yeah. I think you had like you have like a, a unit filler that's like a bear that's like that was <laughs> the like, same size. That's like maybe two centimeters taller. Than him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one's really cool. And I got um, a Minotaur from them as well. Which is like Greek themed um, Kickstarter. Nice. I want to remember the, what it was called. Hang on. I'm just going to have a look and then I can tell you what it's called. And then people can have a look for it already uh, themselves. Also, Duncan's looking really good. Yeah, Duncan's, Duncan's almost finished now. But uh, he needs a little bit of love. I think that, you know, I actually really like him as like... It's called uh, Mortal Gods by Footsaw Miniatures, if you want to look it up. They have a really cool Hydra model that I'm... If, I, if and when I get a Dreadov's army, I might buy the Hydra model. It's really nice. But Duncan, I think, could be really good with a... Oh yeah, that looks amazing. Could be really good as like a snowy mammoth because, uh, you know, if you paint him like brown like a woolly mammoth, the brown is going to be the same as like his saddle. You know what I mean? I'll do a different brown. My plan was to do them like a bit more like kind of creamy colored. Yeah, okay. Like a creamy color, like a bait, like beige mammoth. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, because there's some contrast there. Yeah, it's like, so like darker, darker leather, but then like creamy, like the top highlight will be like... Look. Skin tone, practically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be cool. Yeah. So, what else have I doing? I got my Mantic um, terrain pack came in. So I got loads of trees from Mantic. Still waiting for those sexy Feldrax. Yeah, the sexy Feldrax are, are taking some time from Lubart, but I know that they're like hit pretty bad with Corona in Poland. And like it's gonna be really, really nice when they get here. Yeah, we actually have some Feldrax that we can play with because right now they're really broken. Yeah. Uh, what else do I got? I got that. I got uh, the booze, the booze box that, from that miniature company that you bought them from, Casimir. Oh yeah! Oh, you did order that, didn't you? Yeah. The the shipping cost more than the model, but it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like Westwind miniature or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I'm not sure. I wouldn't yeah. recommend it because it was expensive, but it, I I really wanted it. <laughs> it was a little bit bigger yeah, than I, like I thought. It was a little bit bigger than I thought, but it just about fit on a fifty by fifty. So it's going to be a unit filler for the drunken centaurs. It's like a a wagon of booze. And I, I, yeah, I, also... I, I put it on a 60 by 40 and it's kind of like it's a bit too wide. For... Yeah, like I, I had to chip, I like cut it down a bit to, 
to fit on the 50 by 50. And yeah, I I got the three the three wild boars came from Australia. Oh, yeah. They actually finally arrived. I wasn't sure if they were ever going to make it, but they did. Like I, I bought these Malifaux wild boars um, yeah. as a bit of an experiment from the UK. I got three in a pack, and I was like, okay, I need some different wild boars for my chariots for my beasts. And um, three came, and they were really good. I really liked them, so I was like, okay, I need to buy three more. And I I scoured the internet for days trying to find these wild boars. Minutes. <laughs> I spent minutes. Minutes. Looking. Minutes. And uh, I couldn't find them anywhere. And like the only web shop that had them was this like random web shop in Australia. So I was like, okay, it's cheap. Exchange rate's good. Shipping, it's free shipping. Fine. It's going to take some time. And I sent them like two or three emails. Didn't hear anything back, but they finally arrived. Free beans. Yeah. So that's good. So I'm going to get my last three chariots done soon for my beast herds. And then the last thing I got was uh, Dragon Horde's miniatures on Etsy. I ordered these two kind of like owl thingies that were going to be Jabba Slice for my beast herds. And one of them was like really good. And the other one kind of got a bit broken in transport and it was a bit too small anyway. So I asked for a refund. And I also got like a baby dragon that I'm going to use as an eagle in my highborn elf army. This one here. So what you're saying is that your hobby is that you bought a lot of shit? My hobby is that I started putting things on bases and assembling things, and a lot of stuff arrived in the mail. This is the yeah. tiny, tiny version from the yeah. model, exactly. model that I have. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've been like putting things on bases this week. <laughs> nice. That's about it. That's about it. So hopefully tomorrow I get a bit more time and and I can do some more stuff. Hopefully I'm gonna finish my beasted army before the end of the year. Ambitious goal. Well, <laughs> you're painting like 90 fawns. I feel like that would just make me want to shoot myself. Look fast. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's just it's not that it's not that. I mean, you you have like a put your head down and paint kind of attitude, so it works really really well. And I think that you've also found um, these really really nice miniatures. It's like the it's sort of like the guys that you picked for your. Um, Zombies and Barrowguard and stuff where they're not like they've got nice detail, but they don't have a whole bunch of like trinkets and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so it should be fast, right? That's the so plan. Like, so like it goes through clean and they look really good. It's, it's actually quite surprising that um, When I think about it, you know, because I see a lot of and I work I've worked a lot with games workshop models And you know, they'll have like everybody has like a little bag and a little drinking cup or a horn oh, yeah. or and, like a some trinkets hanging off like a scabbard or this like guy's a got knife. a necklace that's got like three bones and then a fucking and yeah. then some metal thing and, and, like, the, and the next guy has a medallion and then the next guy has like a knife and the next guy has something else and and you're always yeah, doing these like extra friends. details so I'm going like oh fuck what is that supposed to be I guess that's gonna be leather I guess that's yeah. gonna be leather I yeah. guess that's gonna be leather and then I've got a whole this bunch of fucking little bit metal and a little bit gold and dusting around and yeah. bone and so for me it actually gets to the point of annoying yeah I, I, mean? I agree I agree I, I like the simple models but like I totally appreciate that um, like there's people out there like Casper you're talking about like paint doing single model painting where you're painting one one character at a time or one model at a time and and I think yeah. if you're doing that. You know, this whole zen of it might actually be quite nice that there's some little details that are different. And I can appreciate the... Yeah, but 
I still agree with you guys. I think I think it's even worse if you try to paint like really recent games for balls. Like if you paint the ones that are from you know five six years ago from before Age of Sigmar, like it's it's still like like the detail is is not that crazy. But if you, like if you buy some of the really recent games, insane the amount of stuff to put on there. Like every, it's not like about like each mall having a different detail. It's like every mall has like three pouches, scabbards. Yeah, but but I think I think as well with the with the new Games Workshop games, you don't need as many models. So like yeah, I'm I'm building like units of forty wild horns. So I, I have two units of forty. I want one with shields and one with paired weapons. So that's like with a few unit fillers, I'm probably going to be doing like thirty-ish models for each unit. Uh. So I'm like, okay, that's quite a lot of models. But with if you're playing Age of Sigma, maybe you need twelve. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're actually they're actually kind of like considering like the the price that they charge for the stuff. You know, you're getting like the details are how you get your money's worth, right? Yeah. On the hobby side. Yeah. But for when you're when you're trying to paint thirty miniatures, it's better when you're when you have less details. But also when they're standing yeah. in a stack of thirty, you can't see the details. Yeah. So it doesn't fucking matter. Like, yeah. Like like some like those. I mean, this to me is. It, this is why I'm enjoying my painting this dwarf army so because it's all like I'm, all my dwarf moles are like from 1980 or something where it's it's all like lead moles from really long ago. Yeah, li- so literally, literally, all you're doing is skin, metal, leather, and cloth. Yeah, it's like and beards. Like that's. I, feel like, I think I feel like most of it is just skin and beard. Yeah, like, especially the, the seekers are so nice and easy. Like, and it's just, it's just a like a really a joy to paint them because, as you say, it's like there's not so much bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I can see how much how nice that is. Also, like, it's hilarious when I see the pictures when you're sending them, and it's like I can't even see their legs. <laughs> like, it's just, it's like, yeah, it's I like can, more more beard than legs. I can see his face. I can see his beard. There's a there's a, a torso in there somewhere. <laughs> usually I can see a weapon. Then feet. <laughs> right? But I, his arms are usually invisible. It's just like I can see the weapon and the hands are attached to the weapon, but the arms are just like stuck to the body, right? Like there's no gap between the yeah. arms and the torso. Makes it easy to paint. Yeah, it looks like it's I mean, like, a real fun. I can tell you that one of the hardest things to like get to on the balls is in between the legs. Like, because... You know, like I spray them white, so I can't just leave that like area unpainted because it would like stick out. But like you know, getting your brush in under their belly, in between the legs, there's like no space at all, and it's just uh, that's, that's what she really says. You got to go in from behind. Yeah, that's <laughs> also what she said. That's even worse, dude. All right. All right. So I think that's that uh, kind of covers the hobby. So we we'll take a quick break here, and we're going to come back and uh, do a bit of a sneak preview. Battle report slash game thing of the Dread Elves. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sassy Al's about to get sassy. <laughs> We're getting Al assassinated. <laughs> Al assassinated. Get the wine going soon. Crack it. 
So we we have we have more beers as well. Do you want to drink wine or do you want to drink beer? We're like, what am I trying some of this fancy? This wine? is one of the new ones. But I, I would love to try that. Well, it's not like the spiral starts. Yeah, but the spiral's got to start somewhere, Casimir. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, a host here. Like what what happened on the way back last time? Huh? The way back where? Like uh, on the way home from the last podcast recording. Oh, you mean the... Oh! <laughs> oh. Uh, this is a good story. The, the podcast that shall not be named? <laughs> the podcast that will never be released to the public. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get my hands on the belligerent tomfoolery. It's, it's on my phone if you want it. <laughs> I mean, send it to me. I think I'll have a good laugh one day uh, listening to it. So, should we set the scene? <laughs> um... I don't know if I want to talk too much about it. Uh, let's just Basically, say, we got trash. We yeah. drank about seven bottles of wine between two people. We drank five, like, big... 75 centiliter. 75 centiliter beers. Like, between, strong beer. Yeah, strong between beers. Alex and I. Then, yeah. we had, then we had a gin and tonic. Yeah, a big, make, like, three-finger <laughs> three gin and tonic. Yeah, and Alex couldn't get down the stairs. Two floors, like, he was struggling, struggling to, like... Hold himself against the like you know when you go down the stairs and you're a bit too drunk and you kind of hit like the next rail because it's like going around the corner, so you like hit the hit the wall and then I had to like turn and hit the next wall and then turn and go down the stairs again. Oh shit! I mean, I mean the the I think the the thing that sort of annoys me about it is that when I when I remember leaving. I remember it being like a clean leave. Like, I was like, okay, man, see you later. Yeah, it was, that was fine. But then when you got to the stairs, that was yeah. when it got complicated. Like, like two and a half <laughs> meters later, like I got to the door, got out the door, and then suddenly trouble. Anyway, uh, let's just say that uh, I made it home. Eventually. Many hours later. <laughs> after stopping for a nap. Uh, and you were like, head, your head thing came like deployed itself yeah <laughs> let's just say it was a it was not the classiest it was moment expensive and <laughs> an undignified ride home yeah. let's just say that i've learned i learned many lessons in a very short period of time and the train beckons me yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the train home tonight oh, yeah, time, yeah. so um we're going to talk a little bit about the dread elves today so I want to lay down the ground rules before we start. So Alex and I playtested the Dread Elves today. It was my third playtesting game with the Dread Elves. My first. Your first. I'm on the play. I'm on the a legendary army book team for the Dread Elves. So I'm like responsible for actually designing the Dread Elves book, um, mostly from like a background perspective. So I'm like a one of the background guys on the background team. So I'm making sure that the legendary army book fits the background. And and also part of the team like making the rules and just like trying to design the design the units and taking feedback from the playtesters. That that's the kind of my role to to make sure that the army book is is done in like a coherent way that works with the background. Okay. And so I had an opportunity today to proxy my highborn elves and some other bits as my dread elf army. And I played against Pete, and I played against Alex, and so I had two games. And this is my, th- it was my third game, again, with the Dread Elves, the new book. So, the ground rules are that we can't talk about any rules directly. We can't say anything that's in the book. But we can talk about the concepts and how the book played and what you thought about it. But we just can't talk about anything specific. 
So we can't talk about um, the names of any of the units. You can talk about names. Or, or you, like can, you, say, you, characters. Can, you can say names and characters, but you can't say the rules specifically. But you can talk about the concepts and how they felt and what they did and stuff like that. Okay, and, and luckily you're going to edit out... I'm going to edit out any whoopsies that you do. Right, because like... <laughs> because like this I'm, is going to take so long. Because <laughs> I feel like that... Like what you're saying prevents me from saying... Just about anything that I... Yeah, like, All the things that piss me off, I can't talk about. Go uh, crazy, dude. I'll just edit you out. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm trying to assassinate you right now. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. what, what was your, what's your first impressions? Like, you've played one game against the Dread Elves. What was your first impression? Okay, so I'll just start by saying that... Um, for those of you that have been listening to the podcast... And, uh, like, like, and, like, since I started being a participant know that I've mostly played Henry and that Henry pretty much almost exclusively has been playing elves the whole time, yeah. MSU elves, yeah. the whole time that I've been playing them. So I'm used to playing elves, I'm used to playing MSU. Yeah, and the army that I was playing with the Dread Elves was MSU army. Yeah, and I'm used to getting spanked. That's like the three... The three <laughs> elves, MSU, spanked. <laughs> yeah, like that's for the three key things you need to know and, about. And let's just say nothing was different today. <laughs> now that we've set those, we've set the, the tone of how I'm going to phrase this. Um, are they fucked? Yeah, they're fucked. Um, Here we go. <laughs> there are, I, I think what you should do is just like beep out all the shit that I talk about that we shouldn't talk about. Yeah. That way it just yeah. sounds like I'm swearing the whole no, fucking instead time. Instead of beeping, I go like, yeah. I put like a sheep noise over it. So it's like, meh, meh, meh. That's classic. Yeah. So for, I'm a Because also, Casimir should know what I, like, I can't be vague for Casimir. He, kind of, he needs to kind of hear. Just do it, dude. To be, to just do it and I'll edit it. So the, uh, <laughs> on like basically. You can't, you can't say that. <laughs> I can't say that. But Casimir can hear it, but you. Yeah, but that's something that I'm gonna, gonna have to edit, edit that yeah, out. Okay, so that's the sheet. That's the sheet noise. So, the, so the Alpha Strike special rule. That's what it's called. So I can call, I can yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can't say what he does. No. Okay, so the Alpha Strike special rule is fucked. <laughs> it's it's good. Yeah, it's fucked. Um, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that um, the. What do you call the caster? The warlock. The warlock. The warlock's special abilities are fucked. It's so good. The one that you previewed in the scroll with like the different uh, um, things. Yeah, it's, it, so the one that was previewed in the scroll was basically scrapped because it was too complicated. And we well, this is pretty fucking We replaced simple. it with something else, which is very simple and very effective. <laughs> yeah, effective is a really nice way of saying outrageously OP. <laughs> I'm gonna say it for Casimir. I'm gonna say it for Casimir's sake. So what is it called? Tell me what, say so what it's, it's called. It's called Irresistible Will. Outrageous at that point. And I'm like, okay, that's great. The idea, the idea is that you, you as the player need to roll more dice to get shit through, but when it goes through, it's really powerful. Yeah, exactly. You need to roll, like, okay dice. It's not really... And I, obviously all this has to be deleted, but... Uh, Compared to, I want more beer. Yeah, like that's a that's that's an outrageous comparison. Like you're literally changing the statistical makeup of an entire phase of the gameplay. 
That's like saying, that's like saying, uh, oh, that's like saying, Dude, stop making me edit shit out. <laughs> no, you're editing that out because it's fucking retarded. <laughs> Look, uh, something you don't have to edit out, which is which could be vaguer, is that one of the things that frustrates me. Um, let's take it to the sass corner for a second. <laughs> let's bring it down to the sass corner. One of the things that I find a little frustrating about this particular army makeup is that um, basically they reinvented two phases of like the four phases of a player's turn um for one army what do you mean by that well you're gonna have to sheep this out but uh the first one is that in the magic phase uh you're literally complete you've completely manipulated the the like the draw when you draw cards in the magic phase to see how many dice you have yeah make Completely changes the valuation of those cards. Okay, so I've I've played I've played this now. I play this for three games. Yeah. So undefeated. Undefeated, but no big deal. But I've played against you. I play against Pete. Hey, Pete's great. I'm shit. I played against you. I played against Pete. And Pete's I played against I played against a good player. So. Like, um... Ouch, ouch, Cass. Do you hear that? He played against me, he played against me, and then he played against a good player. I have beat yeah, you. We haven't talked about yeah, that yeah. on the podcast. I will, uh, I will own that one. Alex Alex, Alex spanked me naughtily a few weeks ago. I, I enjoyed it. it naughty, was, naughty boy. I it spanked was very, It was very, very sad. It was satisfying for me. It's yeah. like, um... Imagine sparring against your sensei in like a karate class. And you catch him on the chin. No, I didn't catch you, just catch you on the chin. I, catch, I caught you on the chin and then I sweep the leg and then I went in for a chokehold and I strangled the shit out of you. It's awesome. And then the rest of the fucking dojo was like, oh shit, is he going to be invited back next time? And I was because, you know, then we went back to status quo, which is Henry just spanking the fuck out of me. So, anyway. So, what I was trying to say is... That I've played the Warlock a few times now, and the special rule that it has now, which is a little bit different to what was... What's it called again? It's called Irresistible Will. Oh, yeah. It so, certainly is. Um, the special rule that the Warlock has now is it, it basically makes it harder to get spells through, but it makes it harder to dispel the spells that are cast. So this, this is kind of like a background rule, which is related to the uh, wild nature. So it's more likely that they're going to miscast because they're going to use more dice to cast spells. But at the same time, it's because the magic is so wild, it's harder to dispel. So that's kind of where the rule comes from. And I've played this, I've played this now in three games. And what I'm finding is a lot of the time... Like, there's a lot of times in the Not game... against me. Yeah, you have to kind of rethink yeah, so, how you spend Yeah, time. it's like a completely different magic phase to Maybe what you normally Maybe you just had do. enough practice... Playing yeah, against yeah, a good player yeah. and so against Pete. I think I think I think I think I've now worked it out. I think I've now kind of worked out like the averages a bit better. Like in my first game I took a lot more risks. Like okay, I need a seven on two dice, or I need a, an eight on three dice, and I just I was just failing the spells quite a lot because I was just rolling like a little bit lower than average. Like today in the, today there was one magic phase where I had a really good magic phase. And you used all your dice to dispel the first spell, which was probably the right decision. And I tried to cast three spells, and I got the next one, but I failed the second two by one on each spell. I failed. 
and that and that was that was because of the special rule and i think that i think that this rule is really good but it's really fluffy because you have to pump pump a lot of dice into the magic phase to actually make it work and and i really like the special rule i really like how the magic phase works but i think it's like a high risk high reward magic phase and i think it's really cool really fluffy and it works really well because sometimes you just fail those spells because you don't get the value you don't get the casting value that you need I don't think that there's I don't see it as a high risk you already have the veil tokens channeling like, that's because of my build yeah, yeah but the build makes it possible yeah the right? build helps yeah I mean if the build with so it's the only build I've seen right yeah. so I haven't seen I haven't seen a Death Star version of the Dread Elves, but obviously because I've only played them once, but after seeing you play it, I don't see why anyone would do that. Yeah, so this is something that's come up in playtesting. So I would say that the Dread Elves army that we've designed is designed to be like an MSU, MMU um, army, but a lot of the playtesters are running like big blocks of infantry, and this is not how the army is designed. And we're getting like a lot of feedback from them that's saying like, oh, it doesn't really work. It's, it's, uh, it's like so, some things are not working in the army. But in my opinion, it's because they're not actually playing the army in the way that it's designed to play. Okay, so so I, I was just saying, do you feel like maybe you need to, like, as a designer, send some kind of note yeah. with to the playtesters what yeah. you kind of. Yeah, and and, that, and that's kind of what we realized in this. So in the next phase of playtesting, we're going to be giving them some like designers notes. Yeah. Basically tell them to run MSU yeah. and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one thing I want to ask is, uh, is that with, with like now, for example, playing this, this uh, Warlock rule uh, in this game, do you, do you feel like this is a type of rule that even say this, say like Alan's correct in it, that it's, too powerful or it is very powerful for example do you feel like it's something that could be balanced by just increasing the base price of the wizard yes 100 percent. Uh, i i i've been saying this since the first time i played the warlock um the current price of the warlock i think is about 20 to 30 points maybe 20 25 points under costed and i think it should be like in the current in the current document that we we're working on with the price value I think they just need to push the price up a little bit more. Yeah. So because I, I think that's one of those things where like it's not bad to have something that's powerful, but if you pay the right price for it. But there's also there's also some downsides to the warlock that I'm not going to go into. But it, it kind of limits you a little bit in list building. But I, I don't want to go into that any any more than that. Right. No, sure. But like in comparison, right? When I do my battle shrine build for my sorcerer master, yeah. like it costs me eight hundred, a little over eight hundred. Yeah, points. but that's because you're on a battle shrine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like <laughs> Alex smiled a little bit then when I when I said because you're on a battle shrine. He's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, because like, like, I ate your fucking army hard with that. <laughs> yeah, <thing>. yeah, <laughs> awesome. Um, the only reason I scored points is because my battle shrine ate you, and I forgot like ten rules. <laughs> also, that helped very well. <laughs> yeah, like so we were like. It wasn't close or anything, but like I, 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 I chomped a bunch of Henry's uh, units, like chomped them. But it turned out most of that was because Henry forgot a bunch of shit. Yeah, including I forgot. I forgot a magic item that I had on my general. Yeah, but that was 
Yeah, we, 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 we can't it. say that, Alex. It's, that's the magic item. It's so. a lot of bleeping. Yeah, so I forgot a magic item on my character. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. So I just got that. <laughs> free. Yeah. <laughs> Twitch. It's gonna be bleeped out. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 is the assassin like actually assassinating now, or? Yeah, yeah. Like... It's it's really good. I think it's really okay. good. And I think spamming them is maybe. You can't say what they do, but you can say that. <laughs> can you say that? You said that. I I it's, I'm gonna to have to bleep a lot of this out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the, the assassin. The assassin has like a new mechanic that makes it a little bit like the eighth edition assassin. So it, I think it could be quite interesting uh, figure. I think now it's not really customizable in the same way as it was before, but it has a yeah. role in the army. I think which is really interesting. Because the old book had like the occult. I think the, the old book had like oh, a yeah, lot like of it. options. So that, but they could actually jump between any cult. That be, was be very careful what you say. I'm talking about the old book. <laughs> yeah, the I old book. I haven't read any of the new yeah. book, so I don't know. But in the old book. The thing about the assassins was that they could they can they could join any unit regardless of their cult structure or whatever. Uh, I'm I'm not sure, but there was two two paths yeah. for the assassin. There was like a shooty one and a combat one. Yeah. But we that's kind of been removed now to simplify it. Yeah. And now it's like a lot cheaper than before. But, but the, it's also a lot more basic. But the, it's a lot more basic than before. So it, it's it's like it's probably not going to kill like a combat character. But if you want to go in and like and assassinate like a mage, or assassinate like a necromancer or, or something like that, or just give more punch to a combat unit, then it, it's it's going to be really good. But like you could also stack them. Yeah, you can put two or three in a unit, and then they're right. really good. Like that's pretty good. I mean, it's just like when you're running with your centaurs, you're running like four or five characters in your centaur unit, yep. and like that's fucking terrifying. I think that in general sounds good because one of the main criticisms of the previous assassin is that it was kind of just another character like it it wasn't really different enough from just a normal combat character that like it warranted having a separate entry like I've been thinking about because I have all those cool barbarian characters you know and I I was going to make these dioramas with them but I'm thinking about just making them characters and then if I do like an MSU army I just have like 10 (laughs) 10 barbarian chiefs yeah they just all have a bunch of fucking shit going on. Yeah. It's also a really good idea. Because I can throw them into any unit. Yeah. And just have like, bank with them. Like 10 barbarians. I think that's actually quite a good way. I think if you do that, you should play Oslanders. Because the Oslander list is just much better. Yeah. I haven't checked it out. Yeah, it's really good. I'll check it out. You, can, I, play, you can play at NerdCon. I'm <laughs> just saying. I can't go to NerdCon. We already know this. Yeah, but you should just you should make an excuse, dude. It's just a baptism. I'll just come on Sunday. <laughs> I'll, I'll give up. I'll give up three games. But if if you want, you can be a stand-in on Sunday. I'll spot you three games. If no. you want on Sunday, you can be a stand-in. Because what? Because people don't show up. Or yeah, what? there's always one person who doesn't show up. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Like there's only some asshole. And that that just that just, that just saves me playing with a hangover. Because you're you're uh, refing. Because I'm I'm gonna be standing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could, I might be able to arrange that. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so what what else what else was your like your first impression of the dread elves? We talked a bit about the warlock. We talked Ballistas. a bit about the assassin. Yeah, Bl- the the bolt throwers. Yeah, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, the dread reapers. Dread reapers. Dr- I mean, they're not called ballistas. Well, that's what they look like. They're What's called the dread. Like? They're called dread reapers. God, God yeah, knows. God knows these things, dude. Come on. I haven't gotten the. I haven't even gotten to look at the book yet. <laughs> I gotta know what they're called, and I don't even get to look at the book. 
I apologize, podcast audience. Since I have, since I'm completely ignorant, I will be drinking a lot today. That's that's, that's fine. Yeah, that's but those fun. giant crossbows, whatever they may be, f- honestly, as someone who's working on the design team, I've been saying that they're really good for two for ages, and they're really fucking good. They're so cheap, and they're even better than they were before. And I I, I think I think this is probably the most broken thing in the Dreadlocks book. Can you tell me what they were what they did before? Are they significantly different from how they work? Yes, they're, they're very different from what they were before. So, um, before they were 48 inch range. That's pretty long. Yeah. And they had six shots. And four feet. Strength four AP2. What's the width of the whole the whole table? 48 by uh, six, uh, 72. It it's like 60 something. Yeah, so seven, 72 by 48. So, if they were parked uh, at the very back of your lineup. They, they can, can reach to the, the other back line. Yeah. Hilarious. Okay. Yeah. So these are very different. So they had 48 inch range, and yeah. what else? Strength 4, AP2, 6 shots. And could they do any of the, anything else? No. Oh yeah, they could also shoot one shot, like a bolt thrower, strength 6, D3 wounds. Yeah. So like against beasts, yeah. large units. So yeah, it's very different now, but it, but it's, I think, in my opinion, it's better. Oh, I mean, it's great, and I think it's, I think it's super neat. It was like I said. I think the price is unreasonable. Yeah, I just think it's too cheap. I think it needs to be like something like that. I think that it should be pricier, and I think that maybe the um, the number of them should be limited. I I I've already I broke my own rule, so it should just be more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing, right? Where like these are the things that are kind of easy to to change. To yeah, I mean size. that's like as as long as like the the unit kind of feels interesting and functions well within the army then like if you just limit how many you can have or the price whatever that simple change i mean i think that almost you can almost always resolve a design issue with a cost uh re- rebound yeah, like it's i think it's up, re- to, up to a certain point i think like I, th- I think there are examples of when it just like doesn't really work because like you, you can you know, like, say, for example, you have a unit that is, like, so integral to how an army works that you're always going to take it. So then, in a sense, it doesn't matter how much you price it, like, above, you know, everything else, because you're always going to take it, for example. Yeah, I, I think I think you're going to see two or three of these in every list. And as we talked about in the playtesting, there's, like, a lot of combos with certain other things that make these really good. Yeah, I think I think just just as they are... Yeah. They, um, they need to be limited in some way. There's opportunity for taking serious advantage yeah. of them, and especially with yeah. if you're especially with an MSU build. I think the the thing about the thing about like in place weapons is that um, you know they're they're naturally vulnerable, um, you know, by design against yeah. against melee attacks and that sort of thing. So if you create a system. Where they're of high, if they're of where they're of a good enough or a high enough value that you need to protect them, um, or you're or you're genuinely like, or you're genuinely like, because otherwise it's easy to sacrifice them, right? Like, uh, like if they're not if they're not expensive enough, right? Then it's then the decision to sacrifice them is really simple, because you can park yeah, them. Yeah. If you can park them at the back of your field and you can and you have and you and there's and you have decent range so you can fire at stuff, um, and somebody actually like goes deep into your backfield and tries to 
take them out and they're not expensive enough, it's fine to just keep you, shooting yeah. at those guys on the way in and you then just, lose you them. Just, you don't care, right? You're like, fuck it, I'm already, I've already moved my army away from there. Like, it's, it doesn't matter. It's of no value to me, right? Like, yeah. it's, yeah, done, no, it's no, done its I mean, job. Like, the thing you find with, uh, I think, like, a lot of the current war machines in the game, like, if you think about, like, dwarf war machines or UD uh, war, war machines, is that, like, usually you spend so much points on them that you can't, like, really just leave them because then people just get, like, a boatload of free points and they don't, like, earn enough comparatively. Yeah. So, so what was your favorite thing in the Dreadoff army that you played against? What was, what was the, like, the coolest thing? You forgetting about your assassin. <laughs> <laughs> okay just kidding so, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. I, I did forget about my assassin in the whole game but right. what, what was the what was the coolest thing you thought about and what like what was the like the most interesting thing mm. I think um, if someone's playing Dread Elves so what, what do they want to hear I think that the the balance between uh, the balance of like actually I think that the the ranged uh, infantry that you had, yeah. Also, generally was pretty good at melee as well. Yeah, and I think that's really nice to have as a combo. Yeah, like so you, you have the, like the crossbow unit, which is can shoot, and but it yeah. also can fight reasonably well. It's like there's a, it's like, I think, it, and I don't think the shooting or the fighting was like OP. I think it was just like uh, it just give you it gave you a bunch of options. Um, but when I like, when I actually engaged with, like when I finally, cause I, you know, I'm, I'm warriors. So when I finally like chased them down and, uh, started smashing them, it was, I thought like, oh, I'm going to really eat these guys hard now. And then yeah, it they did, actually fought pretty well. They, they fought quite strong and yeah. I was like, oh, okay. That's like, it's pretty good. But that's kind of a feature of the Dreadhub's army. Like they're, they're always, they're always going to be really good in combat. They're not so good against range, like as you saw, like the range attacks didn't really do that much. Yeah. But they when even they can shoot you down and whittle you down, and when you fight them in combat, they can still fight even the cheap uh, auxiliary I mean, units. Using breath attacks and hellfire when I got them off, smash you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when you rolled an eleven for your breath weapon, I was like, ah, fuck you, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's the small victories, man. Yeah. It's the small victories. <laughs> annihilated a unit of obsidian guard in one turn. But what I what I realized so sort of counter it in the um, in the aftermath of this what I was trying to do the whole time was get you spend dice so I could drop Wrath of God but what I should have done was like cast Wrath of God early to make you cancel it so I could get more of my Hellfire and Breath attacks off. Yeah, that's actually the I so I was I was so fixated because I love the AOE of the of the Wrath of God. Yeah. I was so fixated on getting that AOE strike in that I was trying to pull your dice out with these other things, um, and then and then I fucked up a bunch of the rolls. Yeah, uh, where I should have basically, like, basically you weren't using enough dice to cast. I should have spent five dice on Wrath of God. Yeah, or four dice, and then got that done. Forced you to forced you to cancel that, and then hit you with a breath attack or uh, Hellfire every turn. Yeah. That's what I should have done. Yeah. I think that's a like, good strategy in general. Um, but the thing was that I, I just, it's just that I, when I beat you, <laughs> that remember when I beat you, um, I think I got four comets off, four yeah. wrath, wraths of God yeah, off. Yeah, because I'm letting you have the wrath of God and stopping the hellfire and the breath weapon. Yeah. So, 
So then what happens is, so if I had been getting Wrath of God off and you had been spending your dice on canceling it and then I'd been hurting you so bad with the rest of it, then I would have just been getting Wrath of Gods off. Yeah. And that would have been a much better strategy against yeah. the MSU. But you just rolled too low when you did try and cast it. Yeah, but I also was trying to cast it late. Yeah. I never, I was trying to draw your dice out early on the other stuff. Yeah. To get like a free chance. Yeah, you should do the other way around. But I should have just dropped it yeah. every turn. Exactly. First spell. To pressure you. Yeah, first spell, Wrath of God, four dice, yeah. and then worry about the rest after. Because I had I had basically all pew pew attacks, so um, there was I was guaranteed to be able to hit you with something. Yeah. If I had the dice left over, like three dice left, I was going to hit you with something, and I should have totally done that. I, I really fucked that up. But anyway, um, so besides the ballistas, which I thought were super interesting, I mean, I have to say. Um, I told you when I was first saying what kind of army I was going to make that Dread Elves was on my list of top two, was Warriors and Dread Elves. Yeah. And you said you sh I should wait because wait the Dread until you see the Dread Elves. Yeah. And when I what I'm seeing now, uh, I know that things will probably change because you guys yeah. are in the middle of designing it. Yeah. Um, but what I'm seeing now um, is really interesting to me, and it really fits with. Um, like an army I'd like to paint because I want to paint uh, like a Japanese army, right? Like I have. You don't have to do. Bless my idea. You don't have to it's do. It's not this your idea. I literally told you. You, you this. gave me the idea. But I told it, you this. It's your idea. It, it's my idea. You didn't tell me about it five months ago, <laughs> but it's my idea. So you don't have to go do it. It's my idea. It. You already bought fucking twenty five STLs in of in in in, in <laughs> Japanese themed stuff, but it's my idea. Shut up. <laughs> I've got ninjas, I've got assassins, I've got Chinese dragons, I got all kinds of fucking cool shit that I'm gonna do. And I already got it. You gotta spend the money on it. I already got it. Alright? Alright, I'm printing it. It's, all right, it's mine. Anyway. Alright, dude. Alright, dude. So we're gonna have we're both gonna have a Japanese dread up zombie. Yeah. We can do Civil yeah. War, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be good. We'll just get have to not pick the same colours. What colour are you gonna do? I don't know what colour I'm gonna do. What colour are you gonna do? I think I'll probably do purple and white. I'm doing red, it's fine. <laughs> like you know, the correct answer is I'm gonna do the cooler color. Yeah. <laughs> well, purple is a, purple is a cool color. I've already got my red bean hurts. I'm not doing two purple armies. I might do orange as well. Orange yeah. is orange or red. I'm already done. Yellow or orange. Purple. Like, uh, I, We're gonna be like competing with Dreadles, it's gonna be cool. I mean, it's just gonna be ballistas and assassins and fucking <laughs> warlocks just <laughs> shitting on each other. Pew, 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 pew. So, uh, I think the, the question every Dreadal player wants to know is, is there a better name for Dread Judges? Yes. For what? Dread Judges. Oh, yes, great. there is. I'm not going to tell you it now, but... It's the, the worst name. But it's or, it's, name. I, it was my name that I came up with, so I'm very proud of it, so I'm not going to spoil it, but it's there is a new name. It's been confirmed, and it's not Dread Judges. Okay, good. Good to know. That's all I need to know. So now, now you can sleep easy at night. Yeah, well, exactly. So, uh, what else that was cool? Um, what, what was there anything that you didn't like? Yeah, those sword masters. The sword. Well, I was using sword masters, but they were called. They're actually obsidian guard. Yeah, yeah but they're they're, they're 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 basically the same kind of thing. Yeah, they're a great weapon. So it's like a halberds. very elite halberds. Oh, halberds. Yeah. Uh, oh, so they're even faster than great weapons. Yeah. But sword masters have a special rule that they strike first with a great yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Because fuck them. Yeah. Because fu- no, no. Because fuck me, obviously. Because fuck <laughs> me. Oh, oh, we have great, we have great swords, but we're elves and we can swing them. Super Al- Ali- Alex is just Alex is just me. sassy. That I smacked eighteen warriors and fifteen. One, fifteen warriors in one round of combat. He's just sassy that he he didn't even get to roll any dice for them. That's that's all. I sat there and I built them. <laughs> I helped you build them. I built them with. Not, not just the physical. And painted them and everything, and he put them on the table. And I, I even bought movement trays. And my obsidian guard charged in. They I had, would say I would say they didn't even charge. They're elves, so they sauntered in. They sauntered in. It was an easy charge. You gave me an easy charge. Light and casual. You, you knew you knew what the charge range was. You gave me an easy charge. I needed to roll like a six. I rolled a I rolled like a ten. Easy charge. Went in. Deleted them in one round, overran, into safety, no stress. Yeah, then I fucking breathe fire on you. Then you breath weapon me and kill the whole unit, but yeah. no worries. Yeah, he had his, his hero and his champion left. His champion ran away and his champion hero survived, the Champion game. survived the game, just saying. Hero did as well, half points, but he... No, I killed that hero. He was alive, but he was fleeing. I finished him in the last round, uh, didn't kill him. Oh, yeah. No, I did with my spell. Yeah, you did kill him. You did kill him. That's right. That's correct. I he did him. die. He did die. So he didn't survive. No. Yeah. So drink. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you're out. You're out. You're out. There's more booze there. There's more booze there. Everybody needs to learn from playing. Did you elves, like the one? Just like Delicious. Such a pain to, to charge like units of a detail. Agree with anything. Yeah, don't, don't get charged by Obsidian Guard. They're good. Good wine. Okay, yeah, so. So with no further ado, we're going to next talk about some Infernal Dwarves. So in podcast land, we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to Amazon Podcast. Oh, God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> okay, welcome back to episode 54. 54! Part 3. Part 3. Whew. I can put it in a glass, I don't need to drink in can. So, we're going to be talking about the new Infernal Dwarves update. Sassy Al has no idea what's going on. Casimir, at best, is like a half halfway there. Oh, well, I mean, I have. I Actually, read it in like, re- like relative detail. Like I haven't played it, of course, but I've so actually. Read I, it. I've played one game against the, the new Infernal Dwarves, and it was like an okay. absolute rules mayhem. Like everything, just doing everything. With the up- new update or the with the old rules. Okay. Yeah. So uh, okay. I have some like some idea of what's going on. Excuse me. So so we we're gonna go through all the all the updates. First is points, and then it's rules. Are you looking yeah. at it as well, Casimir? Yeah, sure. But let's let's kind of go like in general what they changed first before we go through the details. Go for it. Like I feel like one of the major complaints that people had was, as you said, like first of all that it was too complex, and also the second one I would say is that they had too many rules that kind of bypassed the weaknesses that they had built. Yeah, so I agree. For, like a good example was that 
if for example they're they're not a very maneuverable army but then they have the bastion which you could put into a unit and suddenly it shoots in every direction so it doesn't matter if yeah. you outmaneuver them yeah because exactly. they can just shoot at you anyway and stuff like that and i feel like they can curtail some of that stuff a little bit yeah and they can march and shoot and they're quick to fire and all this other stuff yeah, but I, I feel like it's, I mean, it's still kind of present a little bit. Like, for example, you can still get divine attacks, uh, even and to bypass flaming wards, but it's not as, as kind of as bad as. Yeah, correct. So um, the way that it works is, is, is that they had all these like special rules, like, as you say, like the, okay, you have flaming attacks, but then if something has like a, an Aegis against flaming, oh, by the way, you said ward, so drink. And... Uh, oh, but then, then they had something that gives you divine attacks against flaming. So it had, as you yeah. say, like it bypassed all these these special rules. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and like it's a it's a little bit less now, I think. Yeah, before, I I, I, uh, I actually really like the new toned down toned down version. I think it's actually really solid, like army yeah, book. Yeah, me too. So, do you want to start with the the design changes? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think what like one of the big things they did is that they improved the clarity a lot. Like a, a good example, if you just go to the universal rules, is that previously uh, you had like a rule on the Infernal Dwarves, which was called Infernal Brand, which then interacted with models that did not have the Infernal Brand. So what they did is that they just shifted the same rules, but over to the units that actually have them. So yeah. now if you're like a you know, a vassal or a slave or something, you have a rule called Bound or Broken, yeah. which has this exact same thing as before, but it's kind of actually on that unit. Yeah, so so it makes it more obvious, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and that's good. I also think that... Yeah. So before yeah. it was like the Inferno brand gave units within six inches this thing, but now it's like the units that are not within six inches gain this thing. Or something like that, right? What? Yeah, so like, I mean, essentially... It so it's, it's more of like an active thing than a passive thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the biggest complaint was really that the, it was just... That you had to, like, if you took a unit with which was affected by it, you had to read the rule on another unit. So, you know, it's easy to miss yeah. if you're a new player, for example. Yeah, so it was basically before, it was the dwarves that were, like instilling vigor in the vassal units and the kadim units but now yeah. it's like the kadim units that have their own rule that does the same thing but they're getting affected by the dwarves within six inches yeah exactly so i think that's a good change they, yeah. they also limited the amount of cowboys that you could take in the in the army as well yeah to two right yeah, exactly. So, so you, you essentially you can upgrade any like dwarf character to, to be kind of like a tauruk, like a half a mini bull thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so now you just can only have two of those, which is probably a, a good change as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So you basically you can't make a centaur list. <laughs> so let me just ask yeah, a, a exactly. quick comparative question, yeah. right? So, like the vassals or slaves uh, that the ID army has yeah. right in some ways would you say that they're comparable to the peasants in the kingdom of Equitain? Mm, yeah in some way like in Equitain, yeah the peasant the peasants gain discipline and they gain they can they can move further when there's a hero when there's like a, a knight like a knightly person nearby 
So that so it doesn't have to be an actual hero character. It's no, just like just a, any knight. So if you have a knight unit nearby, yeah. it instills that yeah. value. So it's similar. Yeah. So it's similar. So the so the in the Infernal Dwarfs, the, the vassals and slaves, the vassals and the slaves, they gain battle focus, and they can reroll failed charges. So basically, it makes them better in combat and better at charging. Battle focus. Uh, every every roll, every hit, the every six that you roll to hit, you gain another hit. Right. And battle yeah. fever. So I, like, I think the, yeah. the difference is really that the, the infernal dwarf vassals kind of fight a bit better than the the peasants, at yeah. least in, in a basic sense. But then with peasants, you can add on a lot more stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, but it's the same kind of concept, right? Like they're they're a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, so would you would you use vassals and peasants? Um, in like an MSU way, like have just no have like no. less. You you want to have big units of both. You want to have big units. Like yeah. peasants, peasants. You want five wide, and like ten deep. <laughs> and vassals, you probably want. It depends what you're doing. You can run the vassals in a little. I could. There's like a bit more uses out of vassals. Mostly, I would say it's for like doing like incendiary tokens on things with a shooting and and yeah. with a tar. Or you you run them like really wide in horde formation, and then maybe you can beat like medium units with them. Because you're getting three deep attacks. Yeah, because yeah. you're getting lots of attacks, and you're getting like the flaming reroll synergy. But you use a flaming banner. Mm. But I was just because I was just thinking like if you have an like an infernal dwarf unit that's within range, having a number of vassal units around them, you're boosting them. You know what I mean? Like you don't need as many ID expensive ID units like it to boost them. Right? You yeah, can you have like a, one within six inches. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big unit. It just has to be there. Yeah. And the and their units yeah, are, but, but are fairly like, strong. I think it's more like by the nature of what type of, of unit the vassals are. Like they're kind of low low toughness or low resilience rather. L- low what customer? Low resilience, bro. You said uh, you said something else before. It's on man. the tape, Cass. You uh, might as well drink. Sure what I said, like I didn't even listen to myself. Just uh, drink it. Drink. Come on. Um, uh, yeah. So, but, so, so, like. But they're also yeah. cheap, right? They're also cheap. Yeah. So it's okay to have like a fairly large unit. Yeah. But but all I'm all I'm trying to ask in this particular circumstance is like uh, is that you don't necessarily need big infernal dwarf units to no. boost no. No. these. Units. You just need one small unit. So you can have like a small yeah, unit of uh, immortals or, or something yeah. like that, with like surrounded yeah, by like loads of a bunch of chumps. Yeah. Sits on a throne. Yeah, like you can get an infernal of character sits on a throne and he sits in a and he kind of like commands yeah. the vassal units. You can put so you can, you can put yeah exactly. So you can put like a yeah. throne guy inside the vassal unit, then they'll still get the battle focus. And the surrounding yeah, and the surrounding cool. units would would get it also. Yeah, pro- probably, but yeah. it depends how yeah, close yeah, they are, right? How close they are, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I think an, another big change that that affects the vassal units is the fact that if you want to use the oil skins, so this is the the thing that lets them put incendiary, so kind of flaming tokens onto units. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to shoot, use the shooting attack, you can't march and shoot. So this affects the vassal cavalry. Yeah. Which was kind of fast count that before could march like 18 or whatever it was maybe 16 and then yeah. and put on the flaming tokens so now they can what was the range on the flame on the it skins? was 12, 12 inches because they had bows and your oil skins are half range so 
Yeah, or, or minus six rather. Just one. Oh, minus six, so 18. 18-inch range. Yeah. yeah, so now it now it limits you a little bit. So I think it's a good change. 18 is a fucking, like... I, I think it... Yeah, that's a I huge still, distance. Yeah, yeah, but when you can move nine and then shoot yeah, 18, right. it's, it's okay. Yeah, but like, okay. Yeah, but... but Let's just say... Here we go. Every, okay, <laughs> sorry, Casimir. You can kind of... If you have a fast unit, you can move in a position where you want to chaff something... And you can still put on an, an incendiary token with the oil skin. But now you kind of have to choose between do I want to, like this turn, am I going to chaff something or am I going to shoot my oil skin? So you, there's more of a choice. So, yeah. wait, so you can't move and shoot, is what you're saying? Yeah, you can, but you can only move nine. Okay. Yeah, I can't march. So, I mean, the way well, that I, I. I can't remember how fast they move, but whatever it was. They can only advance, you can't march. The way that I look at that is, you know, if you deploy. Reasonably well. Yeah, if you, if you deploy in the right place, then it's not a problem. No, but I, but I, it's, it's like a small change that makes like a... It's slightly weaker, which makes it, it a bit more balanced, in my opinion, because it was really good before. Yeah. I think it just... Yeah. I think that what I would say the difference is is that um, it makes it harder for like beginner and mid-tier players and doesn't have a huge impact on... Yeah. You probably like right. you probably right there. Players. Yeah, you probably right there. So, so I mean, uh, like the one thing that I, like the one criticism that I might have for design, right, is that, um, like, the thing that I would expect the designs to do is focus on um, the competition, the competition level, the competition level difficulty. Yeah, of of units, right? It's I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about video games for a quick second, but there are like a whole bunch of online video games called MOBAs, right? Like uh, multiplayer online battle arenas, Dota and League of Legends, that kind of stuff. And they have a huge meta where they're constantly changing the balance of different skills and abilities because of the synergies they have with the different systems and teams and, and stuff that you have. And, and and those are all those are all rebalanced. The same with StarCraft too, or StarCraft. Uh, when they were doing balancing on that, all of that rebalancing happens um, to make sure that the high-level competitive, pretty much you know professional skill level meta is still evolving and changing, and they're pushing the envelope of that. And then the lower skill, mid-tier skill players need to deal with that. Right? It drives it. It makes it a, a slightly higher barrier to entry. But it means that the um, that the challenges the challenges are set for like comp competition play. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's kind of what I want. What I would want to see because that means that like a beginner player can't like take advantage of something. Um, you know, like that seems like if it's clearly OP that a beginner can even a beginner can use it and smash with it. Then I feel like that's when that's when you need to like reevaluate the like the 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 meta of your system, yeah, right? Like I the, agree. the synergies yeah. that are there. It's fine if like a high level player can, can make it like, work, abuse it, and make it really good. Yeah, that's fine yeah. because because it's their it's their knowledge and skill that allows them to do it. Whereas like it's not that if anybody took their list, like if I took the list of some high level. MSU player, yeah. I'm probably still gonna get my ass kicked, right? 
just because like this yeah. one this one some tournament doesn't mean that I can just grab it and fucking kick ass with it, right? Yeah. And I think that's the important that's the way that it the, should be, right? a game should be balanced yeah. because So so you think this is a good change? Definitely. I mean the if it's doing if you feel like it's doing that yeah we'll see but i think it's good because like uh what you want to do is you want to get players into a situation where from the beginner they can learn the system all the and basically like accelerate all the way up to maximum competition play right i think that's the yeah that's the quality that shows really quality in like a game that transcends like the uh the like Saturday evening friends game to the to the tournament game to the international yeah right that's that's like a that's for me of like a super high value and that's also um, to like to like just bring up uh, for a brief second a topic that we've sort of talked at, talked about in person a few times which is um, which is that war that uh, games workshop is coming up with their own. Um, big battle system that yep. we don't know anything about you know like the history of games workshop is that the way that they use that system to sell models right so whenever so yeah. so what what happens is the freshest and the newest thing that they want to sell always it's is the, the most best. op yeah. and then they sell a lot of new models with that and that's never going to be an issue for the ninth age in a sense we, we, because we, we don't, don't sell models, models yeah right and that's what's so great about it is that like it might be a little OP because we're because it's being brought into the game system and we don't know exactly how it's going to balance out, but the audience is gonna is gonna figure that out. like the you know what I mean like as yeah. it play as it permeates through the system the forum is there to let the design team know when when and where it's been fucked up yeah. right and then that allows you guys an opportunity to balance it yeah. Um, whereas there isn't this alternate motivation, financial motivation. And I actually think that that's one reason why the ninth age will have no problem, you know, excelling, surviving, excelling through competing, competing with the, um, introduction of another large scale battle system yeah. from games workshop. Yeah. I agree. That's why I don't have, that's why I'm like, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. Whatever. Right. It's, it's not going to be as good as ninth age. So because it will always be designed around selling models. Yeah. Right, no matter how much people want to jerk off to those models, it's like the great thing about Ninth Age is you can buy those new models and use them in Ninth Age. Yeah, no stress. Right, it's like nobody's gonna be like, oh, you bought the new whatever models. Like you, all everything's a proxy model in yeah. Ninth Age. Yeah, right? yeah. It's everything, right? Because there's no there's no official models. Exactly. What's what I love? It's one of the things I love about it, and it's one of the things. And it's not that it's not the models issue. It's it's the fact that it's not selling models is the thing I love about it because the team yeah. can constantly spend their time without like, like a like, marketing yeah. a marketing team coming and saying we need to sell these fucking things we just spent 10 million dollars on promotion yeah. and marketing and whatever and building this this fucking thing and we just printed 80 million of them in China we need to fucking sell them so <laughs> yeah. go fucking make them good yeah. so people buy them and play them in tournaments right yeah. and they're going to sell <laughs> our paints and they're going to sell our brush brushes and they're going to sell all of our shit it's like none of that happens it's just like hey dudes Infernal Dwarves are a little OP. Okay, we'll release a patch that yeah. balances it out. Yeah, Aces. I fucking love that, right? Like, I'm being sassy about a completely different thing here. I'm <laughs> anti-sass. I'm sassing against G-dubs, whereas, you know, usually I'm sassing against stuff that's 
fucking up my Warriors. But anyway. <laughs> so, so Casimir, Casimir, what's the next thing for Sassy Al to get Sassy about? Yeah, fuck. Well, I mean, I think leading leading off from this change, I, I think there's two two uh, the two last changes to the uh, like the the general rules would be that the amount of shooting weapons you can have in your army is is now reduced. So before you could have like sixty dudes with uh, like like normal infantry models with shooting weapons, and now that's been limited to fifty. But and does that does that make a big difference? It does because of this change. So before you could have like the Citadel Citadel Guard, which was kind of elite core infantry with pistols. And they could have pistols, and those pistols didn't count towards the shooting cap, but now they do. Okay, hmm. so that's a big so, difference. So yeah, all your Citadel. So this is a big difference because before you could kind of circumvent that, so you could have like all the shooting weapons, and then also the Citadel Guard with the pistols, so they would be shorter range but still shoot. You know. What's yeah. the range on so that? Eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Or his pistol, I think, is twelve. Oh, is it twelve? Yeah, twelve range, but okay. like still. So, so it, it, I think that's a lot better. And that's then the, another thing they did is that before One? every infernal yeah. dwarf ball and twelve range infernal <laughs> And what that gave you is that it's plate armor, but it also gave you like a flaming uh, Aegis save. And uh, before it was like a, it improved any ages save you had by one against flaming, and they removed that now. So just to simplify a little bit, but I, I think that's also quite. Yeah, I guess it doesn't synergize with basalt and fusion anymore. But aside from that, I think it's better. It's like more simple, yeah, just more simple, right? Basalt and yeah, fusion—that's the armor bonus that gives you armor, but yeah. minus. Attack. It gives you it gives you plus one armor. Minus two and attack. No, that's alchemist alloy. Because you basalt and fusion gives you plus one armor, then a three plus Aegis against flaming. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and like another big change also is that the rocket battery lost clipped wings. Yeah. It's a lot uh, worse against uh, stuff like the dragon. Yeah. The, I mean, the rocket battery Sorry. is is a bit broken already. What what did clipped yeah. wings? Was that hatred against flying or something? Gives you plus like if you do a wound. You do D three plus one wound against against uh, flying things. Okay, uh, plus one. It's yeah, so I, th- I think that's quite a good change. I think, it, I think it's good change as well. Was just doing way too much. Damage. It was just like one shotting dragons. Yeah, with four wounds. D three plus one. D three plus one. But you do four shots and you hit twice and you wound. Oh, that's oh sorry. Yeah. So gotcha. it, it was it was a bit too good. Well, yeah, all we so need so now is changes. for the fucking Feldrax to get their proper buff, right? <laughs> yeah, am I right? Yeah, sure, sure. Am I, am I sure. right? Am I right? Feldrax in the next in the next iteration are going to be like so expensive. Mm. You're you're not even going to want to run them because they're right now they're fucking broken. Yeah, they're the best thing I think. Probably, I would say, I would say, I would say Feldrax are the best unit in the Ninth Age right now. Basic, regular Feldrax. Regular Feldrax. Six, six squad. Yeah, six squad. Man, it's possibly the best unit in the I'm spending age. all this time custom building a fucking six-man Feldrax squad, and they're just going to go to shit? That's that's a super... They're going to hit get hit with a nerf bat. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I'm spending all my fucking... You just got to get them done quick, play Nerdcon, and then smash some people, and then drop done. That's, yeah, exactly. Honestly, and honestly. Just have them in the camera. But like, if you nerf them, what's left? So, so um, for me, there was quite some good changes. I think the 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 best, some of the good changes was like the Infernal Warriors. Um, 
they gain fine extra rank when taking great weapons. I think this is a really good change. Yeah. They gain what? Fights in extra rank. You to actually use like big unit supports. Yeah, because Infernal Warriors, like you would never take them before. And now yeah. you're like actually considering them. Like you can just take them 15 guys and you fight in three ranks with a great weapon. It's like really good. Yeah. But you hit slow. But, but also, I mean, taking like okay. a unit of 40 or something. Yeah, like unit like 40, good, go 8 wide, and you get like 40 attacks. <laughs> yeah, and I also like that in combination with this, they removed the fighting extra rank bonus from Citadel Guard. Yeah, which also a great so change. Yeah, because before it was like the Citadel Guard were just so much better than you. And, and also the, um, the Immortals lost parry, which is oh, yeah. an awesome change as well. They, they also they also changed how they work. They, they changed the immortals a lot. Like I think to be honest, that's the unit that changed the most. Yeah, I agree. They, they lost parry, and they also before they were always wounded on a four plus, and now they changed that to get a minus one to wound modifier against strength five or higher. Mm. So essentially, like effectively, what that means is that you can never wound them on better than a three plus, but they also, uh, but it's uh, like it kind of starts. After I, I think I think that was like a needless change. I think the parry was enough. I think that okay, it's super I mean, weird. Like, as a, it's super weird to be like on strength five or higher. Like I really think that 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 sort of like um, detail is is to me that's an, an obnoxious detail. That's like a really that's like a really annoying thing. It's, to it's keep, like a technical to, to thing keep, right? to keep track yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right, like you're sitting there and you're going like. Okay, is that, I, am I strength 5? Okay, now I get my swing to On 5 or higher, and like, yeah. whether you're playing as ID or you're playing against ID, it's like going, it's like the guy's going, oh yeah, I have minus whatever to wound. It's like, no, no, but my guy's only strength 4. You know, like, yeah. like you gotta like I, sit there I, and fucking I don't, hit, I don't like this change. I think the parry was enough. And uh, okay. I, I think that this sh it should have just said how it was, because I actually quite like that rule. You know, you get it, you take great weapons in a unit buffs their strength up to five or whatever suddenly it's totally different yeah you have to do the math and okay strength five was four i just think it's super fucking annoying it's it's too it's too specific i really like the more generic stuff it's plus one this minus yeah. one this yeah you know what i mean like i really hate this like yeah this like if insignificant like yeah. or or significant minor yeah if statement it's yeah. like i, I think yeah, that's really really annoying for for a unit it's like oh they're yeah. totally fine against fucking a fucking warhounds, but like you know, oh, you've got Feldrax, so fuck you. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, like I mean, like essentially, what it means is that I, I mean, it's it's definitely worse than the previous one. It's like a, definitely a nerf, but as you say, it's also like a little bit more complex than it was before. Because before it was just never worse than a four plus, and I mean that's easy. Like you can always apply it. Yeah, it's. I think I just feel like this is an unnecessary detail to try to balance something yeah. like to, to make it to make it overly complicated in an unnecessary way and I, I, I find that yeah. really annoying so so for yeah. me there was there was two more changes that are actually worth mentioning mm -hmm. we, we we already mentioned the bastion that loses the 360 but yeah, uh, that's a good change. So there there's two changes that make that like really made sense to me so the gunnery team sorry no the infernal engine Oh baby. Yeah. That that loses parry and gains defensive skill three. So th this is yeah. like this is just makes much more sense. It's like okay. Yeah. Like before it was parry, why? Why? 
So we got a bunch of fucking arms just like chopping and spinning and fucking weird things like tornadoing around. Yeah, exactly. So defensive school three. Okay, fine. I, I imagine the infernal engine as you know that like TV show American Ninja Warrior. Yep. Where like they go on like all the the weird track of things and they yeah. have, like the hand bike and then the spinny thing yeah. and then, like all this, it's like there's all these like mechanisms that are just knocking them off of stuff or like or like uh, yeah. Yoshi's castle castle or whatever the <laughs> Takeshi's castle Takeshi's castle those kind of things I feel like it's one of those right it's like a bizarre contraption yeah. it's just kind of like it's kind of like got a whole bunch of spinning like tubes with spikes on them and shit and, and it's like. <laughs> You go out to attack it and you go to stick your weapon in and it just goes like poing, you know, and like shit just flies off it. That's the way I would imagine it, right? Like Yeah, but but it's it's still resilience eight. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a good well, resilience fair. seven, I'm just, like I'm just saying like when I think of that thing. Yeah. Okay, for, okay, for for me this is like a really good lore. change. I'm doing a lore fucking statement here, right? Oh, you could get into the lore. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. And it also I'm trying to appreciate what you do, Henry. Okay. Also having fire, <laughs> fires of industry too. I think it limits it a little bit more because the rock crusher was like by far the best choice. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like essentially, what you what what the change was that before you can upgrade it to like a non-shooting version and it didn't have fires of industry, but now yeah. it just always has it. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think this is like a really like balancing change, which is really nice, and and I'm happy for this one. What's the fires of industry? It basically limits you the number of like big industry things you can have. It's like a limitation of the army, so you can only have a certain number of fires of industry. All right. So I think it's six in the army, and this is two. So certain other things have like kind of add extra. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like in general stuff that shoots, I would say adds fires of industry. Yeah. But this one you can mod it to also have. Ranged attacks, can't you? Yeah, you can. Yeah. But then it has different fights. I think it's like the sick fucking mortar attack, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, like another really important thing yeah. to note with Fires of Industry is that the Bastion gained Fires of Industry 1. Yeah. Did so you play against the Mega. There's one of these with a Mega Mortar attack? No. Because that's that shit we talked about last I, time. I, played, I know I lost my fucking I mind. I played with the Mega Mortar against the Mega Mortar, but it misfired in the second turn. I couldn't shoot anymore. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Which was fine. So yeah. How's it so misfire or triples? So the other significant change for me is the Citizen Giant, where the, the tower shield lost hard cover, which is reduced to soft cover, and no longer gets distracting, but now it gets parry. So for me, yeah. this is like a really good change, because before it was like fucking bent. It was probably the most bent unit in the whole ninth age, and now it's like yeah. actually like, okay, reasonable. Wait, why? So, okay, before it was a giant. You, you know what giants do, right? Yeah, they're a bit shit. Yeah, so in, in the Infernal Dwarfs, yeah. the giant had a 3 plus armor save. Weird. Hard target, hard cover, sorry. So if you, sh- the shield. If you shoot it, it's minus 2 to hit, parry, and distracting. It didn't, it didn't have parry, but it had... We had parry because it had a shield. Oh, yeah, shit. Oh, my God. I'm so stupid. So, so in combat, you always hit it on fives. You're minus two to shoot it and a three plus arm save. So now they reduced it to, to only soft cover. So minus one to shoot it. There's no longer distracting, so it hits on a four plus. So that makes it, like, much more much more reasonable for the price yeah, that it is. I, th- I think it still needs to be a bit more expensive. Maybe it actually got a bit more expensive. Let's just see. Yeah, it, it upped like... I don't know yeah, yeah. Five, five, five points. <laughs> yeah. I forgot hard target on the Exalted Herald. I never shot it. You shot it? 
Oh, it last like turn. Fifty last times turn. in yeah. the last, last turn. turn. Yeah, it died because you got three wounds on it. Yeah, which you shouldn't have. No, shouldn't have. But I also so, know those rules. But anyway. So I think we're having one change that is really big that we haven't talked about yet, and that's the change to the hereditary spell. Ah, the hereditary spell. This was a contentious I, issue in the design team. Do tell, Casimir, what's your opinion? I'm not sure if I like this change. The new hereditary spell is fucking shit. What is it now? It's yeah, so, so bad. What is it now? And it's really weird as well. That's okay. So basically, what it was before was it, it was like Wrath of God. It was like a comet. Kind of. It was like a Wrath of God light. Where yeah. essentially you put, a, you put down a comet. And if it, when it landed, instead of doing a number of hits like a, that you roll a d6, the whole unit took dangerous strain test. So it was really powerful against infantry unit. Wow. And that was a, like... They figured out really quickly that this was like really good against armies that weren't quite that good to begin with. Like it just decimated the unit. So, it's so strong. not what they changed it to. But it had the AOE of a comet? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So MSU yeah. army would get fucked. Yeah. Well, well, it depends. Every time you roll a so one, much. people die. Like yeah. if you have a unit of five dudes, you would only roll five dice. But if you hit the unit of 40 barbarians, you would roll 40 dice. Yeah, yeah, but let's say that you have an MSU. It's, it's better against big units, actually. Yeah, but fair enough. But it's about like rolling. It's about how many dice you roll. So, you, so whether you hit one big unit for forty dice, yeah, but or you hit five units for yeah. forty dice. And it was if you had incendiary, you roll on a one and a two, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, uh, imagine this: that I mean, it's much easier to hit one unit of forty than it is to hit four units of. T- Technically, you're rolling the same number of dice. They're going to be maneuverable and spread out, whereas that one unit of 40 is going to be really hard to get out of the range of the combat. Yeah, that's okay. But, I mean... Anyway, it was was just, like, a bit too good. But what they changed to now is, like, a really boring spell. Also, it's a debuff, but it's really low casting value. Quick question. Did it land in the same way? You rolled every turn... No, yeah. four to six. You, you, no, yeah, or it, you you choose a point in the table, and from that point, then it works instantly. Yeah. No, and no, it was no, it was the same. Wasn't it the same as the uh, the comments? I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you, it instantly if anyway. happens. But I mean, that's that's that would be fucking amazing. Yeah, but but now it's, it's like now. it's like a debuff. All right, cool. Yeah. What does it do now? So, so now it gives you minus one offensive and defensive skill, just uh, on a casting value of only four. And then if you power it up, you get minus one extra for every incendiary token you have. Ma- up to maximum three. So it's, it's pretty good. Minus three, minus three? Yeah, it could be minus three. In an AOE? No, one well, unit. One unit. Okay. But it's only range 18 if you power it up. So you need to... Uh, I, I'm not sure. Like, range just, 18 is not. Yeah. I, 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 I think the range is, is the killer. Like, it should just be... Still range 36. It's a foot and a half. Yeah, exactly. Range 18 is not a short distance. But it's it's not it's not good enough. You have to in, like you are, in my li- opinion, literally if you're gonna cast a spell, if you're gonna cast a, spell. if you're gonna cast a spell, you're gonna power it up every time because otherwise there's no point in doing it. And the range is just killing you. It needs to be like twenty-four at least. I, I would I would put twenty-four on both. The four plus yeah. and the six plus version. You're gonna fucking I know you guys are gonna lose your mind. Because I know that Hellfire is super strong, but Hellfire is only 18. Yeah, but that's a missile. This is a buff, like, or a debuff, right? Yeah. But, okay, so if, if, 
Like real, realistically, really, like realistically, a foot and a half. Listen, listen. Realistically, minus one offensive skill and defensive skill does not make a difference. Oh shit! Time out. Time time out. Yeah. Wine, wine, on the floor. <laughs> Henry's back. Wine sorted. Wine is cleared up. So, Four in conclusion, the curse of Nezibik, Nezibkesh. Mm. Like you're never going to cast it at a full plus version because it doesn't do anything. It's like very yeah. rarely it's actually going to do anything. Mm. So at a 6 plus and 18 inch range, I, I feel that this hereditary spell is not going to be that useful. Because you're only going to... 6 gonna, plus is yeah, so it's cheap though. Yeah, it's, it's cheap, but you have to get an incendiary and that gives you minus 2. I, I just feel, I feel that it needs at least a 24 inch range to actually make a difference. But the incendiary yeah, is like the incendiary is throwing a skin or something like that is still yeah, an eighteen yeah. inch range. Yeah. So let's say that you have a, a caster that can cast this. Yeah. And they're in a unit that threw some shit. Yeah. You got to be inside eighteen inches for yeah. them to have thrown it anyway. But when you're when you're in eighteen, then you're in like charge range. True. So for me, I think this needs to be twenty four twenty four on both versions to make it viable. Same, I just, same I, casting value, but 24-24. I just think that with the vassal and slave units that you can like put in front of stuff, like you can have some vassal and slave units with angles and shit. Okay, like, okay li- listen, like, minus three offensive and defensive skill is not that bad. Not like, that good, you mean? Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, like, I mean the the word like real, realistically, minus three is pretty strong, dude. Realistically, it's giving you minus one to hit, and minus what and plus one to be hit. That's like the worst thing. That's the only thing it's doing because it's not it's not like shifting it that differently. So it's basically it's that's basically, only after. But one, but if you're beyond the four shift, it's actually significant. Yeah, but it's only minus three. So yeah, look, yeah if but if the if shift is already. If, is our yeah? If, if, that's, like, if you're even, it's not a big deal. If you're four four, then it's not a big deal. If you're four four, it's not a big deal. So that means that means you're minus one to hit. But if you're five three, if you're if you're five three, that's minus one to hit. But you're still hitting them on a you hit them minus on, two and minus it, plus one to be hit. Minus two to hit. Yeah. No, no, it's not minus two. It's it's minus one to hit and minus and plus one to be hit. If, yeah, you're, you, if you're you if you're three three like against five five, really. if you're regular, if you're let's say that you're, if you're, so okay. w- what I'm saying is that this spell is not that important. It's it's a low casting value, which is fine, but the range needs to be high enough to make a difference. And I, I don't think at eighteen inches it is. I think it needs to be twenty four twenty four because yeah. that's the only way it's going to make a difference. What do you uh, call those yeah, spells that you get for free after you cast a spell? Attribute. Maybe it should be an attribute spell. Yeah. I think it's fine as a spell, but I think it just needs to be 24 inch range. Yeah, like, to, to me, I, I think that, like, this would be, I, I see their point where, where the idea is that if you take a prophet who is the dwarf, and he, he in general doesn't have a lot of, like, combat buff spells, it's more offensive spells, so then this is an attribute to give him... Like an option to make your units fight better. Yeah, but I, and I think it's needed as well because when you take like pyro or alchemy, it, this is like a nice spell to combo with that. 
Yeah, but but the, okay. So the, I think the kicker comes with the fact that you can take a vassal conjurer and put it on witchcraft, and witchcraft has a much better version of this in its uh, in a, yeah. its at- evil eye attribute, right? Yeah, I agree. It's a deceptive glamour, but yeah. Yeah. Ah. Drink. Yeah. So, so so like to me, like this doesn't like you. If you want to have this kind of spell, there's a much better way to get it. Pick this as one force. Yeah. I agree. I, I, but I'm, I'm not even sure that the Vassal Conjurer can take this, this, uh... No. Hereditary, Vassal Conjurer can take a Hereditary spell? Yeah, it can't take a Hereditary spell, I'm no. pretty sure. What can it take, then? Just the regular yeah. spells? Low level. Yeah, it's only Adept, max. So, first yeah, four. But, but he, I mean, like, why would he, if he's gonna take Witchcraft, then yeah. you don't need to. Then you don't need to. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a useful spell, but I, I think you're in, in probably eight times out of ten, you're going to be taking a spell from the path that you choose. Yeah. So for me, this was a, a not a bad change, but a change that didn't really work. I think we have to wait and see yeah, what I people think, build with it. The old hereditary really had to go. But it's, it was just. It was it, punishing a playstyle, which it, already yeah. is kind of punished inherently with how the game mechanics work. And, and like also the, how the Infernal Dwarves work. But it's an offense-defense spell, so you're casting it on your own units, right? Uh, no. No, you, you cast, cast it on, on enemy. Air. Oh, because it's minus to offense plus... Yeah, minus, minus offense to defense. Minus to defense, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Then, uh... So you're casting it on an enemy, so... But if you cast it on them and you're beyond that four gap range after you hit the four spread right it becomes more valuable right yeah if it's my if it's minus three right and your spread and let's say that your base spread is two or three then if you're adding the minus three on it is get not just giving you the minus one it's giving you minus two or it's giving you minus three yeah, so essentially, it's, it's basically giving minus one, minus one to hit, or on, minus on, one to be hit on uh, evens, on basically around evens. Yeah, sometimes. But when you have a mismatch, it's giving you big, much bigger bonuses. Minus one to hit and minus one to be hit. I mean, like you know, you know, I think a good way to look at this is that you'll never, like, you'll never go from minus zero to minus two. You will always go from minus one to minus two. Yeah. Or from. Zero to minus one. Yeah, it's, it's not giving you like a big buff. It's like one, maybe more. Yeah. If you use it at the right time in the right place. If. Yeah, like but you're you using it on an enemy there. unit yeah. that you can be charging multiple units into. With, with dwarves, yeah, with, I mean, with advanced three. But vastly okay, units okay, have sure, sure, but like that, Think about the fact that if you have a guy on witchcraft, like an adult of witchcraft, yeah. every spell he casts, he gets to reduce. He gets to reduce the offense or defense of an enemy by one. No, it's advance. Oh, it's just advance. Ah, oh, shit. It's seven. Does the, don't they have a spell that do that? Does that? Though? Yeah, yeah, but they have deceptive glamour that uh, reduces the offense or defense by one or two, and the agility by one or two. Yeah, I I think I think you can double up with it, but at the same time, it, it, with dwarves, it's not that important. Like hitting is not that issue. No, I think that um, 
they're already, I mean, here's another thing to consider. They're pretty strong, like, they're pretty strong still. I know that there's a, this is a balance set, but like, they haven't taken any units away from the, from the list, right? No. They still have that, ma- like, it's a massive, massive fucking list. With so many different yeah. functional things, right? Like, the diversity of the Infernal Dwarves list is huge. Having a mediocre hereditary spell is maybe fine. I, I think so as well. Like, it's, it's, it's better than it was. But I, I think they could have done a better job with the spell. Like, yeah, making... Like, the, the, the one before, the one before was like way too good, but now it's like, eh, okay. I, th- I think now it's a choice. Now it's a choice between a path spell and the hereditary spell. And for me, you want to always take the hereditary spell because it's like a, like the character of the army kind of. That's how it should be. Something spell. It's like yeah, it's like why would you why would you not take Oaken Throne? Yeah, kind of. You know what I mean? Like you always I, have it. Obviously, you're gonna fucking take it. You have it automatically. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry, because then yeah. Adept's found. Sorry, yeah. my bad. But like, yeah. but like you, but it's kind of like like the hereditary spell needs to be like definitive of the faction. Yeah. For me, so this is like a bit like the Beastard spell where you maybe take it if you build your army around it, but otherwise you probably don't take it and just take a regular spell. And that's a, that's a shame. That's a shame because the design team had like an opportunity that they could use to make something unique. And I think it's a bit of a shame that they did it this way. I mean, I, I think overall, overall the verdict. I, I mean, I think we've said most we can say say about the renter spell. But I think the overall verdict is that I I think the book right now is at a point where. Like going forward, it will be much easier to try to like test it and see what is like overcosted or undercosted. Yeah, and balance it. Where before it was just like it was just too much. It was hard to even approach it. I agree. I Cas- agree. Casimir, let me ask you a question because you've yeah. played a bit with dwarves now, right? Um, mm-hmm. As you at least on UB, while you've been yeah. sort of prepping for this army that you've been building. Now, regular dwarves don't have. Magic, right? And and how would you compare the like combat skills between the regular dwarf army and the infernal dwarf army? uh, Just like combats, combat wise. Forget the forget the magic. Do you think they're on even, or do you think that regular dwarves are stronger, or do you think infernal dwarves are stronger? I think in the, like I think the Infernal Dwarf special units that are not dwarf, like the the Kadims and the Tauruks and stuff, are, are stronger just because of their unit types. But I think that like if you just talk about like the regular dwarfs in the list, like uh, no, the- no, no, I'm talking about like like if you're building a list between um, like a dwarf army and you're building a list in an Infernal Dwarf army with all of their vassals and special units. Just on the melee and ranged uh, like stats and like combat level, without any magic, does one is one better than the other? I, I'm not sure because it's kind of hard to tell because the strength comes from different things. Where like 
In the Dwarven Hold list, a lot of the really like spectacular combat power comes from characters because you can build like and if you remember that we played, like you can build these crazy characters with lots of runes that do all these specific things, but they also cost a lot of points. Yeah, and seekers kick ass too. Yeah, exactly. Seeker characters and seeker units and stuff like that, which are more powerful. But then in Infernal Wars, you also get to have like monsters, monsters cavalry, as well as, as monsters infantry. And those things are, of course, more powerful than normal infantry units. So it's, it's kind of swings and roundabouts, I think. In that sense, like I'm, I'm not quite sure. I guess, uh, I guess the, the reason I was, I was kind of setting you up, right, for like the, yeah. my next question. And you've played it really politically, uh, you know, cautiously, which is fine. Uh, I prefer when you have a harder opinion. But um, not because I'm trying to prove a point, but more because I'm trying to explore the issue here. But, you know, you're saying it kind of depends, but you've already kind of told me that the advantage of the Infernal Dwarves is these other units that the Dwarven Holes Army doesn't have. And so if you so take... I, I guess if I'm going to draw a hard line, I would say the, to me the Infernal Dwarves are better because of all those extra like maneuverability and extra units. So they have that, so they have that base, right? Without, without magic, but they also get a magic phase. Yeah. Right? And then, we're, and then just to call back to the, um, like the hereditary spell, right? Like you have a whole... You have all the fucking choices how many um schools of magic do they choose from who infernal dwarves uh, you have alchemy pyro and occultism okay so three uh, schools of magic they can pull from plus their hereditary spell uh to stack on top so they literally have the magic phase besides that on top of the dwarven hold army so yeah. you might say that they're a little bit op in that sense Dwarf. Yeah, I think this is the, the kind of like what people have been feeling a lot in the forums. I know there's been a lot of Dwarven Old players like being really whiny on the forums about this. I, I think it's kind of offset by the fact that a lot of the Infernal Dwarf things like pay in terms of points for, for the fact that they can do all these things as well. That, that's, that's, and that's, that's like sort of always where I'm going to come back to, right? In my argument is like, does do they cost enough for the benefit right because if you if you can if you can take the like maybe the units are really strong um and they have like a bunch of synergy and advantage that is like is like tough to compare you know like exactly how that balances out but if you just say like they cost more so they just can't have as many units on the field Maybe that extra magic phase and uh, the variety uh, and strength that comes from that variety works out, right? Because they can't have as much. Yeah. I mean, I already think the dwarf. Yeah, like, I think what, that's a question we'll see answered, you know, when we get like what more people play them. Yeah, I mean, when I played you with your dwarven hold uh, setup, you know, you charged right in and just like basically punked me turn one and I was like and I'd never played it before and I all I had heard constantly was about like the cornering army and so it was yeah. completely unexpected for me and then you flew in and I was like oh my god I'm fucked you know 
which was amazing. I, I mean, I, I appreciate that massively because I, I learned so much just from that one experience. I can't wait to play it, play again. Um, yeah. because I feel like I'll, my place, my, my, my distribution when we start will be w way different. But, uh, yeah, I, but I, I think that this, my army is a, is a good example of how it's different because I think that if, like, if you're just putting the units out on the, on the battlefield, I would say that the Infernal Dwarves have an advantage in, in like, their, that the units do more. But then the Dwarves offset that, that by having, like, the Dwarven Holds offset that by having stuff like Vanguard. Like, when I was playing you, the fact that I could move up on my units before we actually started the game. And then like, you, and then you turn, you had turn one, so then you vanguarded and then you moved. And, yeah. And you were like literally two inches from my fucking army. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's an example of stuff, something you can't do with Infernal Dwarves. And like, I mean, those are the things that make, like, make dwarves actually, like, dwarven holds actually compete compared to other armies. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, that's, that's sort of my whole point. Um, um, is, is what I, that's what I'm trying to push you on is like, do those extra functions like the vanguarding, uh, and you dropped also some scout units or something like that as well. The first round, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, so they, you like pushed up from your initial deployment so fucking dramatically that it, it offset even the fact that I had a magic phase. Right in that sense, so that actually balanced out in quite in quite a good way. Yeah, so maybe it is. So maybe it is okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, like like maybe I think I think the the problem here is that it comes down to the fact that if if we're playing, if both of us are very experienced, it's some like this kind of strategy is something that you can counter, and and that's the problem I think for dwarven holds in general is that there's. A lot of dwarven hall strategies that work very well at like against a, like a, a mid like somebody who's like kind of kind of okay at the game or somebody who's bad. But then when you play at the top tables, like that kind of tricks doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and and that's kind of an issue for the army in general. So here's a question for Henry, right? Hank, like, what do you think about because you play at the at the top level, and yeah, right, uh, yeah. and yeah, well, I mean, play on an international team at the internationals, which, so that, I think that's as high as we can get. All right, really. all right, all right. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> modesty aside, uh, you know, no big deal. <laughs> Swing, yeah. Swinging dicks aside, but like, you know, so you've faced off against a lot of different things. Do you think that? Um, that a game that a game like this should be balanced, where um, where an army should be able to face any other army if you if you build a list that's a good enough quality, or do you think that there are like hard counters that you're just gonna get fisted on? So this is like a really interesting discussion because there's like there's there's two ways of thinking. There's like okay, I'm gonna balance this at the top level. And that means, like, at the top level, like, 
if, if I'm a, like a top level player and you're a top level player, we come to the table, we're having two different armies, it's going to be balanced. And that's good for ETC. That's good for like the top five tables at a tournament. But for everyone else, it's not good. Because it means that there's always going to be one army that's like, unless you tailor your list to be a top level list, and unless you're like the best player of that list, it's not going to be as optimal as it should be. Right. So, so let's say for like 90% of the players who are playing the army, it's not going to be optimally balanced. But for those 90% of people, do they care? Maybe not. Maybe not, right? So, yeah. so for me... For me, you should balance it for the top level because that ceiling is there. Whether it's there or not, it's there. Whether whether people acknowledge it or not, it's there. Whether you're good enough to play there... It's still there. It's still there. So I think, I think people should strive to be at the top level and optimise their lists for the top level. And if they're not good enough to play it, they're not good enough to play it. And that's just the fact of life. Like, you have to play more games to... You have to play enough games to be at the top level. And that, for me, that's fine. And if, you, if you're if you not at the top level, like, I'm not really at the top level. I'm, I'm like, the level below the top level. I'm not... Definitely not at the top level. With your high elf army, you're pretty close, aren't you? I mean, maybe I'm at the top level high elf players, but... <laughs> but that's not that hard. But that's... So retarded, right? Yeah, so... So like, but that's the. I mean, so you can say that, but like the fact is that high elf, high elf is one of the most played armies, right? Yeah. So if you're at the top level of the high elf players, you're at the top level of the largest pool of like the largest pool of players. Yeah. So you're actually so whether it's that hard or not, you're at the high. You're at the highest level for a group of for the largest pool of players, right? So maybe it's harder to be a top level beast herd player. But, or, you know, I'm just throwing yeah, a name sure. out there, right? But the thing is that um, there may be not be, maybe there isn't as many B-shirt players playing at top level. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I guess what my, so the, a follow-up question on this is because what you said was if you're a top level player and I'm a top level player and we sit down at the table at, at the... You, uh, you want it to be equal, right? Right. You want it to be equal, but also there is a meta to this where... Um, our team captains have ma- tried to match us up in the most beneficial way possible. For, for right? both of us, right? right. Well, it, it, my it, team, my yeah. team captain's trying to fuck you, and your team tra- captain's trying to fuck me, and yeah. it's just a matter of who picked who. Yeah. That where the pick is good. Like if we if if who got the better pick, right? If if I picked if this is my if this was my team's first pick, it's going to be shitty for you because that's what we've yeah. done, right? Yeah. If it's your team's first pick, it's going to be shitty for me. If it's either of our last pick, it's going to be... The more, the further down the line you get, the more balanced it probably yeah. is getting, right? Yeah. It, it's sort of my opinion. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm not sure who to match up with this. Yeah, it's, it's nuanced, but yeah. Right? But that's the meta that's so interesting in at the highest level is that it's team-based. It's not individual-based. Yeah. And that's what and that's actually one of the issues with balancing the game that is, makes it much more complicated is that people don't solo. But, it, but it's, the, the game is not the game is not balanced for team play. The game is balanced for single play. 
Well, then if it's balanced for single play, then it shouldn't matter who I play. No, exactly. Ever. Yeah. It should never matter no. who I play. My so, list should be able to beat you. Yeah. No problem. So if, if you, for me, like, no if, if you write an optimal list, then in theory, you should be able to play against any player and have a good chance of winning. Yeah. So for me, you balance the list for the top level, and then you you and then the people have to reach that level to get the optimal list. And for me, that's like the learning curve of the army. And some armies, I mean, there's an easier learning curve. Some armies. Higher learning curve. Yeah. Silver elves have the highest learning curve of any army. And yet everybody plays uh, high warning. Sure that you uh, you pick all your elf uh, for the free colors. Why do so many people play high elves if they have such a high learning curve? Because Fantasy back, back, in, back in the day, Games yeah. Workshop with the high elves, it was OP and it was good and it was fun and it was had the best fluff. I also think, yeah, like well, no no I, offense, I think, I think that honest, I think that like, Spears attacking in four ranks has a real. A real nice ring to it. Yeah. I, I like five wide, four ranks, we twenty attacks. Get Before, I think that the, one of the reasons, uh, for example, in Sweden, we had a, a situation when uh, during eighth edition, where you turned up the tournament and there was like seventy percent of everybody there played hybrid elves, and you're like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and, and like, t- like to be honest, it was really. It was because back then, Hybron Elves had rules that bypassed the game mechanic in a way which made it very easy to play. Especially when you're new, you're like, if you fucked up, you you know, you know, did, you didn't get punished for it because your units kind of bypassed the mechanic, which is not the case. Yeah, I agree. So I, th- yeah. I think a lot of people play Hybron Elves both because of the fluff and because of like the legacy. Yeah, yeah they, exactly. they, just, they just have the armies. Right? They have the armies, yeah. Because like yeah, I haven't I, seen. I think I, ideally, ideally in the in, I like to me, I what I would like to see ideally in this game is that every army has kind of a, a like different ways to play it. That you can play an army in a way where it's like it, the learning curve is not that great, but you can still do decently. But it might not be the optimal way to play. Like a good example, for example, I think is is let's take dwarves, where I think you can play the vanguarding seeker list. And get pretty good results, you know, even like while still being a pretty bad player. Like, like, because you can just push it on in somebody's face, so you can still win and, and roll dice. I think they're but crazy strong. The, I think they're crazy <laughs> fucking strong. But if you want to compete on a really high level, yeah, you're you not gonna, you're not going like to play the secret list. <laughs> yeah, but okay. So if you really want to compete on a high level, you might have to play the MSU dwarf list. I agree. Suddenly yeah. The skill, yeah. the skill that's required to play that is so much higher than playing like the. I agree. I agree. And I think that's a good setup. Like, I, I mean, I would like that to be the same for the elf list. Like, maybe you could play like a an elf list with big infantry blocks that was like you just kind of like force force your way yeah. through your opponents. And, 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 and you can also play like a finesse army. For I think I think with the new dread elves, you can do that. Like, you can play like um, three or four blocks, push them forward. Maybe win some games, or you can try and play the finesse MSU army and do really well. Yeah, so, and, it, and that, that's I think that's ideal because then you know when you start the army, you have something to do before you kind of learn it, and then you can yeah. progress into the more advanced. Yeah. Now, do you think that like because the MSU army seems to be okay? For, for, just to interrupt you, Alex. Yeah. Go ahead. Beer, wine, whiskey. What do you want? I would like to try one of the other bottles of wine. Okay. Anyway. Sorry, sorry. Who was who was saying something? Uh, what I was saying was that uh, okay. So, um, 
it seems to me that the MSU system is a high favors the high level player. Yeah, it does. And um, and if you are a high level player playing MSU, um, you're basically gonna smash people that are playing Death Star block armies. It, it seems that way. I mean. Except for maybe the that dwarven hold army with that gem that lets you fucking attack with ranks from any side, which seems crazy. Um, yeah, the the hold stone. Yeah, the hold stone. Um, but it seems like MSU is basically the optimal strategy for Night Hedge. Yeah. Oh, for I the armies we've like been discussing. Like I think think about it like free play stuff. You can either play MSU. MMU, which is kind of medium-sized units, and Death Star, and they kind of rock paper scissor each other in the the matchup. Yeah, I agree. Or like if you if you play a Death Star, you're gonna get owned by MSU. But if you play like medium units, you're gonna beat them MSU. Like you know, if you're both playing the same skill level. Like, like so. For example, right now uh, in our last matchup, right, and it well, basically in every matchup that we have, I play with like uh, large units a couple of large units and then monsters yeah right uh i mean my my special units aren't large is my core units are large yeah um and i'm maybe like 100 or 150 over in my core numbers yeah but the reason i pick 100 150 over is because uh, you want the big units i want that big unit and usually it's protecting a shrine so I need it. I don't want to have like 10 guys and, yeah. just get, and make you smash my shrine, right? Because I spent so much money on the fucking thing. Um, <laughs> but like... Um, uh, so obviously, if I'm going to go with like an MSU or an MMU thing, I'm probably not going to go with a shrine, uh, I guess. But like, it also means like... Like those... Like a four block of Wretched Ones is fucking expensive in in that format, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like so now, you, you, if if you want to go M- MSU, then you want the smallest, the smallest like available units, right? So I want like like yeah. ten stacks of warriors or two electric ones, five stacks of chosen or yeah, whatever yeah. Like it is, a, right? a, a perfect MSU unit is the ten units of uh, ten of lust warriors because then they can flee as well. So if they get into a bad position, they can just flee and they like rally uh, on the minimized, I think. And the faint flight. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so they're like quite good uh, as an MSC unit. I, I think I was listening to the, uh, uh, sorry, like uh, the Thundercox podcast and they were talking about, uh, about MSU specifically, and I, I think they defined it as something like if you have twelve moving pieces or something like that, like a high, like above ten at least, you know, different moving units that can kind of do stuff, fight and so. On. Over twelve, twelve or over. Yeah, something like ten or twelve plus, like that, that. And that's if you think about it, that's quite a lot of units. I mean, I'm running like eight, right? Yeah, yeah, including and, my and monsters. Mine's like fifteen. And you're like 15, which is like, which is, which, you know, I constantly say like, when we put our fucking stuff down, I'm like, I'm pretty fucked. Right? Like, <laughs> but, but it, it's not that you're pretty fucked. It's that, that I have more units than you. That's all it is. Like your, your units are better than mine. Yeah. yeah but, but if I get multiple into you. 
even is. even when I'm facing one on one, the contest makes it an issue, right? Like the longer that I, the fact is I can't but, delete. I can't. But, but, I can't delete but, okay, anything. Okay, you okay, do okay, listen, one, listen, one one like down. listen. If if I'm gonna charge in one on one, it means I'm gonna win that combat. And if I'm if usually that means I have to cast a magic spell. I have to cast a spell to win that combat. Yeah. So it's a ri- it's risky. So if if I'm going in one on one, it's because one I think I can win, and two because I know I'm going to get one at least one magic spell off. So it's the, the army revolves around getting combo charges with things, mm. but it also works if I can get a charge and the spell. Mm. I got you. But I guess I guess the th- the trade off for me is when when I'm sitting there and I have eight units on the board, right? Like including my monsters, All right? Like I've got eight things to move versus fifteen. Like you're pretty much double the number of things that are moving around the board. Yeah. It's like okay, like I've got some scary things, but no matter how scary these things are, like I cannot like unless I roll magic. I cannot just crumble you, right? Like I have to roll some fucking magical shit. I mean, I don't know what I could, what I, mean, I could have done. I ha- I have to let you in the game. I need to like, I, look. I'm trying to think of what I could have done in this last, in this last thing. I think because I had the crown or the thing of the damned, right? Yeah. Like the whatever it was called, hat of the master cool, retards, cool hat, hat of the damned, master master retards, master retards, hat, cool cool fucking hat. Um, if I like maybe stacked all those guys just together and just moved them as like a fucking group wall yeah. to just to just like like overrun some section, yeah, maybe that would be a better way to do it. I spread them out a little bit to kind of like I, I think I think you were a bit fusion. wide. I think you were a bit wide. Yeah, you also had like an impassable on one side. Yeah, and you sent like two two guys around the side. Only, and I, only one guy. Yeah, and I could like focus kill them. But that guy. Turn. But that guy actually. He yeah, stood there and killed, ironically like, killed yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think like yeah, maybe I, what I need to do is group them all up and just move them together yeah. to just yeah. like mob you with wretched like uh, retards, retard yeah. attacks. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think you you you're onto something when it comes to fighting against MSU because like the the thing is that when you have all these small units. Uh, what you're looking for is openings to, to kind of use them effectively. Yeah. But if you kind of move up in a unified front where you don't leave any openings, then he's not going to be able to like charge more, like say two or three units into one of yours if you don't give him the opportunity. And in the end, he's going to have to bleed the small units because he can't like flee with all of them, essentially. Yeah. And especially with the random yeah. movement, I can't flee. Yeah, exactly. It's dangerous, yeah. anyway. But I think, like, also one of the reasons why it can be frustrating when, you know, when you're a new player playing against MSU is because, just like you said, like, if somebody has more units to move, they have more opportunities to, like, outplay you, right? And that's, like, the frustrating part of playing against MSU in general is that it, like, it gives the MSU player, like, so much more flexibility to, to like, be good, kind of. But conversely, you know, if, if you're playing that, that list and you're not good, that also gives you more opportunities to make mistakes compared to a list with less units. Yeah, so, so as Casimir as says, it's like, for the good player, it's good. For the bad player, it's bad because you make more mistakes. Yeah. For the good yeah. player, you make less mistakes. And, like, I don't know if you've noticed, I stopped running chaff. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? It's because, like, to me, it just gets in my way. <laughs> it it, it kind of worked, this game. Yeah. I mean, in the last couple of games, it, it's worked. Yeah. I, I found that, like, um, what really annoys me with the Warriors is that the Wolves, uh, the Hounds, are not light units. So yeah. I can't, I can't re, I can't like reform them, and yeah. so I find them to be like a massive waste of fucking time. Like they're cheap as fuck, but like basically I just have to park them set yeah. front and center in the army, in front, right out in front, yeah, to just go get and just to run up and get killed immediately, yeah. And I feel like that's a huge fucking waste of time. I'd rather waste spend the points. The, I'd rather spend money. the eighty points on like a wretched one. Yeah. Yeah, I just put another. Yeah, I just put another. I put another retro one on the field, the and if I park that retro, I think you should just invest in the fast cap. That's from special. If I park a, if I put another wretched one in my army instead of those guys, and I park four wretched ones in the same spot, they're gonna murder you. Yeah, right. Like, I agree. Like, I cool. Agree. You killed those five guys. Those five hounds. I got to do nothing with them, and you got to charge further in. And just fuck my distribution, or I park these fucking guys I, up there. They get to I just think murky. I think there's a balance. I think you need like you need like one or two chaff units in your army to kind of control the game, personally. But I mean, like with my dread elves today, like I, I had my harpies as a chaff unit. I I didn't really need them, so that was like two hundred points I wasted in the harpies. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. If you didn't need them uh, because I played badly. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe. But you also didn't have that many units. Yeah. So I didn't really need to chaff the units to yeah, get charges. Slow, that I you wanted. didn't just slow me down. Yeah. Right. But it was like... Yeah, I mean, I only had eight units. So. Like the one unit I chaffed, I ended up killing it and shooting. <laughs> so I didn't really need need to chaff yeah, them. That's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so back to Infernal Dwarves, Casimir. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, let's talk about how much more fuck they are. So, a lot of the stuff got, like, more expensive. Like, a lot of the items got more expensive. Worth it. Yeah, but I think in general, though, like, if you just look at the back of the document, I think in general the price changes were, were like, the going down. Yeah. Like, I, the general I, trend was that a lot of stuff got actually reduced in price, but maybe not the best stuff. I, th- I think it was actually, like, a fair, a pretty fair price increase. And price decrease, yeah. like the things that were a bit too good got increased, and things that were not maybe not that good got decreased. I think it was yeah, I think it was quite okay, and I I, th- I think this new upgrade is for the book has been like really good, like it's been really positive. Yeah. My big question, right, is how do you how do you decide the rebalancing? You know, in this situation, right. Um, because, like, in a lot of games, like video games, for example, heavily competitive ones, they they crunch uh, systemic data for it, right? You can see heat maps of exactly where uh, actions are taken, yeah. spells are cast, items are used, characters are killed, players are, players move, where combat happens, what happens, you know what I mean? Like... All these different things that like help you statistically evaluate like precisely what happens yeah. on a um, strategy game board, yeah. basically um, in real time, but also over hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of uh, yeah 
combats. Yeah. And um, because we don't have that, because of people playing this physically, how do you how how does the design team justify the changes? So the way that it works is that we have a playtesting team. Right. So let's say the playtesting team they play fifty games. Okay. Between them all. And all the comments that they say, like let's say, okay, out of 50 games, 20, 20 games said that the Infernal Bastion was way too good. Okay. Then that's like overwhelmingly amount of games that say, okay, this may be too good. So then the design team will okay, look at it and say, okay, this is maybe too good. How can we limit the power of this? So let's, Instead of giving it a 360 line of sight, let's reduce it to normal line of sight. Let's 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 up it by 20 points. Okay. But you um like for example, you don't use something like battle reports or like when they when the playtesting team plays, do they submit battle reports yeah. where everything happens yeah. every they, move, every turn? No, no they they submit yeah. like a general report. And then they sometimes they lay out all the turns that happen. Some it, it it differs. It differs. Like there's some things that they just report and like, because like um, because like Casimir, you do physics for a living, right? There's a bunch yeah. of there's a bunch of math in that, right? Yeah. And and statistics, I would assume as well. Uh, well, I mean, sometimes yeah. Maybe when you're doing like a. Well, actually, you're doing. Are you doing like uh, celestial physics or? Uh, no, I, I'm doing like materials. Oh, okay, okay. But so, well, then, yeah, you would probably have some statistical. Yeah. Evaluations like, you know, kind of stuff for for, for, ma- for materials and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like if, you, it's, if it's a like natural occurrence, yeah. Yeah, but like um, but like a big, a big like decision maker, like for digital games is like statistical values, right? Yeah, um, I, I think in this case, they, they do use them as much as they can, but in this, like in this first phase of testing, they, you know, they just isn't enough data to really make any meaningful statistics on it. Yeah, yeah fair enough. But also there isn't a system, oh, so good. there isn't a system for gathering those statistics either yet. Oh. I think they, they do yeah. have one in place now. Like it's taken a while to to get it into like like a, a really um, yeah, I guess thorough statistic system. But now so they they are like collecting data throughout the year for the like they have an update for all the points and stuff once a year, and that is essentially statistics driven currently, where they take tournament data. I mean, of course, not as detailed as you described for video games, but they take stuff like. You know overall placings, and they, you, you look at like if you look at all the tournaments you gather throughout the year, and you see like oh, Warriors is the top one for every single one or whatever. Then you, you can tell that something is weird, and then you can look at army lists that uh, they were submitting and looking at what you know what units were taking more than others and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess I, I just think of it. Um, I think of it closer to like Starcraft than I do to like Dota or something like that, right? Where like there is like a um, a wide variety of units that you can draft for your army, and that the and that the choice of units of like um, the synergy of those units and the volume or like uh, of each sort of impacts your impacts the outcomes right. 
which makes it yeah. which makes it like really really complicated for balancing like I it's another thing like it's another element for why games workshop can like spend a lot of their time focusing on selling the newest army and being like it's okay if it's OP we'll we'll figure it out later um because because their motivation is different yeah so it's our, so they're like we're going to make this better because we want we want to sell stuff right now and that's that's our that's our greatest motivation and because of that we don't have to worry about these other things but uh anyway but as a as, for for a balancing team i think it's really really complicated um yeah to figure out right like especially like let's say that um if you're going to like the EZT or whatever or, like the internationals right like the, or like the like at the end of the year or or every year and and you're in your gathering like somehow gathering data from each match that would be where i would spend my effort like trying to figure out what's going on at the top level in the game but, but that is also what the ninth age do right they look at the etc they take the data from the etc and then they balance based on what's mostly what's going on at the etc combined with the other data that's taken from the community yeah it's super yeah. i mean it's super interesting yeah is is what i'm trying to say right like i don't know exactly how it works right me, like, me neither I'm, I'm not part of the balancing team like is there like do you at etc do they record all the matches? Is it are there battle reports? Is it some sometimes? No, I think that's the that's the main difference. Is that they like the thing that's really recorded is army lists and result. Yeah. But then yeah. The actual match, like play by play, is not really recorded. No. So like, like only so by like, people who yeah. specifically want. As as Casimir says, like the results are recorded and the army lists, army the armies are recorded. So let's say like okay, someone else an average of eight points per game, and they did like okay, they won the scenario two out of five times, right? So but it doesn't like, take into consideration like the variety. The, no, it the, doesn't, doesn't take into consideration the variety of lists. Not but just it, the variety it, of lists, but the variety of maps, the variety no, of, of goals. No, not but at all. But, it, but it, like a, it kind of assumes an average, right? It kind of assumes that an average of if there's if there's ten silver elf armies, and they all play six games, that's sixty games. So on, on average of sixty games, there's like an average number of scenarios, an average number of this, an average number of that. Like let's say that we want to, and Casimir, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Because you've got the math understanding better than me, uh, for sure. But let's say that we want to take like gather a um, like a field of data. Right. Um, one of the things that we want to do is have some things that are consistent, right? Constants. So, like, um, if all the players at the ETC or, or ECT, what is it? ETC. ETC are playing at the highest level and we want to, like, measure them, maybe on day one, everybody, without knowing what map it's going to be, play the same map and play the same objectives. Yeah. So, we measure. All of those matchups, like using the same sort of like basic rules, right? And then the variables that we have are um, like team list and deployment and then play, right? 
but it, at, at the very least, it simplifies what we're trying to evaluate by having yeah, but, having but, more constants. But, but that's not really what you want me to see. You, no, I understand. You, want a bit more you need differentiation. you need the variety, but yeah. the, the the but the fun thing about the game is you don't know what scenario you're coming into. So if the if the scenario is still developed, you have that with ETC anyway. Yeah, usually. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, like about... I, I think in an ideal world, if we're look, just looking at gathering data, you're right that this is how yeah. we would want to do it. But 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 you, the as end, well like, as gathering data, you also need to be have like a want to create a very nice playing experience yeah, exactly. for people there. Yeah, fair enough. So maybe it's a. I mean, maybe it's a thing, a specialized thing. I'm just trying to think of like how it is that how, how good is this, right? That this one is delicious, by the way. So yeah. I I don't really want to talk about this so much because yeah. I think it's no, taking no, away. You, from you can the, cut away cut away from it. It's fine. Yeah. It's just it's just something that I'm I, you, you know, like as a designer and stuff. I'm com- and yeah. and somebody who has like a background in user experience and QA. Like yeah. I'm compelled by I'm compelled by um, understanding. Um, balancing systems, right? Like I'm super interested in them. So it's not that I'm talking about it to criticize it. It's because I yeah. don't know what it is. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm trying to talk about things that I can relate to. Yep. Um, but like, you know, because my, because my, my end interest is how do, how do we find ways to balance so many different armies with so many different makeups like in what what is the method that you can use to create some some sense of consistency because there are some fucking math nerds out there yeah that have figured out the stats for like the best possible fucking army yeah stats wise uh regardless right so like that it's like minotaurs are gonna fucking kick the shit out of people right yeah. And it's like some guy figured this out and now you got to figure out how to deal with that without ruining beast hurts, right? Like, yeah. it's like, okay, so my hurts are amazing, but like, what do I do? Like our math was just wrong, you know? And then once you balance that, then now they're underpowered. Now, what do you do to make it worthwhile to be a beast hurt player? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's all like a mixed bag, right? It depends on what you take and what you up and what you down and everything. So just get back to Infernal Dwarves. Yeah. Um, so Casimir, maybe we go quick fire through the the points changes. Uh yeah sure. And hopefully okay. I, I can edit like a lot of the bullshit that we talked about out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm and, sad because it's interesting to me, but and um, we can say if it's good or bad. So. It may, may, do, you, ha, do you have it open? Yeah, I have it, I have it open. So let's start with uh, the items. Yeah, so, so tri- uh, triple speed from 60 to 75. So pretty hefty points is, increase, like 25% points increase. Is it worth yeah, it? I think, yeah, I think it's good. It's still one of the best items yeah, in the book. I agree. Because, really good yeah. item. Yeah, it lets you shoot a lot more. Yeah. So Mask, mask of Ages... 25% points increase? Is it worth it? I I think this is bad. Like, this is not a good points increase because the reason it was good was because you could take it on a, a, a giant bull but yep. now you can't anymore. So, yep. like, I don't see the points. I, I agree. So, I think the, the points should have stayed the same. 
But yeah. the 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 nerf that it couldn't be taken the ball should have been how it is. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I think it should say yeah. sixty points. So breath of the brass bull got reduced by ten points. Yeah, I think I think this is a is a good change. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fine as well. Like it wasn't really taken so much in playtesting. Yeah, exactly. So so hopefully it will be taken now. Like it's an interesting item. It gives you a rough weapon and yeah. points. I I, th- I think it could also be a little bit cheaper because I mean okay. it, it gives you one plus one health point and a breath weapon. The the toxic breath weapon is really nice. Sick. But like realistically, like you're probably gonna take this, maybe on a big i on a big unit, but then you can't take it with Taran Prison. So like you're probably gonna take it on a medium bull, to get extra yeah. health point because the breath weapon is not that good when you only have six inch range. So realistically, yeah. you're taking it if you're taking it on a, as an infantry character, you're using it in combat, which is like yeah. maybe okay, but it, it just kind of gives you like a bit of a spike and now I'll put one turn. So I, I'm not yeah, sure. I'm like, not sure about this item. I think it could be a little bit cheaper. Yeah, like sixty is still quite a lot. It's, still, it's, still it's quite in the right direction. Yeah, goes on the mechanical ball. Yeah, no, you can. Yeah, you can. You can't have it on a big ball. You can have it on a small ball. So unflame, it reduced yeah, by five is, points. I mean, okay. I I still think it's too expensive for what it does. Like, so what it does is it lets you turn off flaming if you have like a permanent flaming, but. It, it, to, the, to the, the agility thing is is the issue right why would you want to do that so you, you give the so. enemy in contact minus three agility so uh, yeah, it's, okay. it's really good against elves but otherwise it's not that good oh so like yeah. sorry it's just a thing to basically turn off their flaming banner or whatever yeah you, you turn off the flaming and you give minus three agility to unit base contact which is really good yeah. So, so, so the minus three is, as Henry says, is the big thing. But you turn off flamings if somebody has like a flaming ward, or for example, you're fighting Feldrax and you have to reroll to wound because you're flaming. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I still think it's a bit too expensive. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's like um, a gimmicky item that's too expensive, and you, and you're taking a character on the off chance that you play against Swordmasters, and yeah, for me, yeah, for me, this is like a not good item, even with the reduced price. Yeah, it's like okay. I think in general, when I when I build a character, I I don't like I don't want to if I'm gonna take a situational item it's not like it's gonna have to be in this range of 20 to 30 points not like 50 if it's 50 points it's something that is gonna do something for me every game no matter what yeah that makes sense super weird so so the overlord got increased by 15 points I think that's fine yeah Yeah, the old amounts got kind of reduced by a bit yeah similar-ish yeah so I, I think I think that's fine yeah. Um, the turret ritual got decreased by fifteen points, but that's because you can now only take zero to two. Yeah. So that also makes sense. Yeah, the small bull got also cheaper by fifteen, so it stayed the same price. So, so that's yeah. kind of so basically fun. same same price, but if you take the mounts, then it's a little bit like a little bit cheaper. Mm. Well, well, yeah, it, so ma- it makes the same same. So basically, it's saying like. The overlord on foot is good, and the mounts are bad. Yeah, and I, I think I think now with the change of the of the mask of ages, where you can't take it on the giant bull, I mean, 
I think that's kind of, that's true. Before the giant, the great bull was re- really powerful. I think, but yeah. now it's more profitable. Now it's, now it's like normal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the profit went up by ten points. That's fine. The other stuff went down by ten points. So. Yeah, I think this is is decent just because like the it was the profit of Nesupkesh. I think that yeah. that was really the powerful one. So. Yeah. So it, it's basically the same price because if you take that, you take the Infernal Bastion, but the Infernal, Infernal Bastion got nerfed, so it yeah. all works out in the end. Yeah, it's like... So the, the Vizier, the the mount's got a little bit cheaper, the Torah Commissioner got, got a little bit cheaper. That's about yeah. it. Well, that's, that's fine. Like, he, he wasn't that great and also he, yeah. he lost like he, he got simplified he lost that like you kill a cop you get hit back rule which yeah. it, was com- it was complicated so no worries yeah for it was a complicated rule that didn't do anything yeah the the Citadel Guard <laughs> they got a little bit worse because of yeah. the in the the special rule and the spears got more expensive and the flute knock axe got more expensive which is crazy because the pistol was the best choice yeah, exactly. But the, so, but the spears was the thing that you got with the pistol, so so that. Okay, so that that a little bit more expensive. Yeah. Sorry, vessel, you take spears and pistol. Is that yeah, the idea? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pistols the spears give you and pistol, which eighteen inch range. 12, Twelve inch range. Twelve inch, and the flintlock axe gives you eighteen or twenty-four. Eighteen, I think. Yeah. So the, the flintlock is like a halberd, but that shoots like a. Like a handgun, yeah. Yeah, but it's so. So the beauty of the pistol slash spear is, you don't want to charge in. You want to like get up, blast people, and let them charge you because you're yep. running spear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then the yeah. you keep getting closer and blasting them and closer and blasting them. Yeah. The, the slave got exactly. a little more expensive. The immortals yeah. changed as we talked about. Um, you get a great weapon for free. You get extra cost for. Real nice yeah, so like the immortals cost. are kind of like they just rearranged the costs a lot, but yeah. in in the end, I think great weapons got like slightly more expensive, but yeah. in general they stayed. Yeah, the the lugas got slightly more expensive, and I think they I think yeah. the, this is probably the broken unit in the book. They're really good. Um, I think they yeah, need it's, to be... it's one of the units that didn't get any nerfs, even though it's quite quite good. Yeah, I think they need to be a little bit more expensive, but that's I mean, where they are now is probably okay, but we'll see. The Kadim got uh, cheaper, which is good. The additional model got yeah. cheaper, which is good. The Kadim Chari got cheaper, which is good. Great weapon, sure. More expensive, fine. Torrent exactly Forces, that. more expensive. The Blunderbuss, which was really good, got cheaper. Yeah, that's a, a little bit weird, I guess. I yeah. know. I guess they're trying to limit the amount of cav they have in the in the army in general. So like the base cost went up, so you, you're not gonna like spam darts of cav. Yeah, I yeah. I, I think that's the idea as well. But you can still use midshaft at two hundred points. It's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Like one hundred eighty-five before was was cri- really good for that type of chaff. Yeah, I agree. And blunderbuss as well. Was adding twenty-five points. Yeah. So, and then Torek Anointed, I mean, essentially everything on this unit. And I think that's good because it was quite, probably the, one of the weakest units in the book yeah, before. I agree. I agree. So hopefully hopefully we'll see some more of these guys on the table now. Yeah, because it's quite substantially cheaper. Uh, actually, 
like you, you get like 20 points base cost and then four points on each ball and then basically all the upgrades except for the great weapon got cheaper by yeah. a couple of points yeah so the Vassal Cavalry went up by 10 points which I think is fine like 180 points yeah. for the, the Tarskin thing is, is pretty good <laughs> it's, it's funny because everybody whines about this because it's a, the, one of the most expensive chap units in the game but it's, all, it's so good though like it's such a good unit wait until you see the Dread Elves so these guys can also like make you flammable right? yeah yeah exactly like right. it's to me this is one of those units where th- this is like kind of the alt included in the book yeah, I and, agree. Yeah, I agree. I'm not. I'm not sure how they're gonna solve that, but it's just like because you need chaff and you need to add flammable. Yeah, it, any kind. Of, it feels like dual roll for cheap price. Yeah, exactly. So the, the vassal slingshot that got a little bit more expensive, which, which ten points. I think that's fine. Gunnery team yeah. actually got cheaper somehow. Yeah, I think it's because they limited the uh, they limited the uh, kind of movement and stuff so it got a little bit cheaper and uh, some of the munitions got more expensive I think yeah the Titan so, motor went up by 5 the rocket battery went up by 5 essentially I, I think I think it's kind of the, it ends, ends up costing the same I, th- yeah. I still think the gunnery team might be like a little bit too good so but it, I guess we'll it's see it's basically the same yeah, I think, I think one of the big changes they added is that if you fire the gunnery team, like, one of the things is that your your weapon is minus one strength compared to if you have a stationary or whatever. But if you buy cluster munitions, which was the extra ammunition which made you attack, like, an extra unit next to whatever you shot, that also gets minus one. Yeah. So, so that is actually quite a good, like, a big change to make the gunnery team worse than it was before. Yeah, I agree. I think the gunnery teams are really good, and they always will be really good. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, like war machines that you can move, just like in the uh, Vermisform list, like the weapon teams are, are uh, just because you can move them around makes them a lot, a lot better as war machines. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I think any war machine with mobility has a strong benefit, right? Yeah, exactly. Because. I mean, you're not you're not automatically losing those points you invested in that unit if if somebody ambushes or whatever. Yeah. You know, whereas if you have like an artillery park, you you might use lose four hundred points when like a unit of beast herds or something shows up in your backline. I mean, fucking ambush drives me, <laughs> drives me crazy. I yeah. don't. It drives me crazy. Yeah, little units of dwarves popping up. Yeah, I yeah, think that be. Sorry? I think it's mental. I think it's... I, yeah, it's, I, I, it's... I have problems. <laughs> I got problems, Casimir. Yeah, I mean, when we played Dwarven Holds versus fucking Warriors, you... Basically, by turn two, I knew I was just done. And we played the rest yeah. of the game anyway, and I was like, I'm still fucked, but maybe I can get some more points <laughs> off of you just to, just to see what... Just, just for practice, you know? Yeah, like I, I do it for practice, but like I'm basically just comfortable getting spanked. But um, but yeah, I, I I just think there's a certain situation where things get messy, and yeah. uh, it's hard to it's hard to fucking deal with that. I think player wise. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the biggest things I've that I see like when I'm when I lose games when I play in tournaments and stuff 
mm. is that when stuff gets messy, I usually end up like kind of squandering my opportunities. Whereas like a really good player, when I play against somebody like Rasmus or something, I can notice that they, you know, when they, they always get like the best out of a messy situation. <laughs> Whereas for me, like a lot of times it gets messy. I'm thinking like, oh, this should probably be good for me. Like I got all these units here, and, you know, stuff's going to happen. And then somehow they manage to like move out of the way of everything. And you're just like, how did that happen? Like, why is it like this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think um, without go like I don't want to go into too much more detail because I'm pretty drunk and we've been already recording for a few hours. Yeah. So, what's the overall impressions for the new Infernal Dwarves? I think it's it's quite. Uh, I think it's good. Like I think almost all the changes they did were were not, like it, it's only the hereditary spell that really yeah. is a, a down. I, I, I agree. I think the changes in general are really good. I think the hereditary spell is a bit shit, but otherwise it's been. Like a pretty good balance patch. Like, what's your first impression? I think that um, the nerfing makes sense, uh, especially the way that people have been reacting to it. Yep. And and like I've been saying throughout the podcast, I think that like the hereditary spell shift, um, even though it's not, you can, a, you can always take another spell. Even though it's not a great hereditary spell, um, so you're gonna need to pick a special build for it to be of value to you. Um, I think the fact that, um, like, the Infernal Dwarves versus Dwarven Hold, um, that we can we can kind of agree, at least with Casimir, that Infernal Dwarves are stronger just on a melee and ranged uh, level, that the fact that they also have a magic phase, to me, means that... Shit can happen. Like... Like they've already got a whole a whole other phase of gameplay to fuck with people, yeah. And that maybe a hereditary spell that's not great is okay, considering they still have access to three delicious fucking fields of magic. It is pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. So um, to conclude the podcast, thank you very much for listening again. Fifty four. Episode fifty four. Fifty four. <laughs> Uh, thank you Casimir for coming on as always hopefully we'll have you in person at some point in the near future yeah thanks for having me yeah and uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can get in touch with me at the podcast at Henry P. Miller on the Ninth Age Forum or you can come fight us on the yeah and you can also find us on you can find us on Twitter at uh, DK, I think oh nice or you can come hit us on the P-Log and just like salivate over our delicious sexy uh, models sexy sexy painting hobbies yeah you can use the blog section check out Casimir's Am- Amatine P-Log check out Casimir's chubby little dwarves <laughs> they're, get, they're getting awesome, more awesomer every day they're getting more dwarfy yeah yeah more and more dwarfs red, right. red dwarfy cheers guys enjoy your evening
walking over to me this must be fake my lip starts to shake how does she know 